Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hi, this is Joshua David Stein, host of the Fatherly Podcast, the perfect podcast for the imperfect parent. Join us as we talk to dads like Ken Burns, Tom Colicchio, and John Legend about fatherhood. Listen free by searching for the Fatherly Podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. Um, for a free rate quote as well... Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Well, we're in the zone here. I hope you guys are having a fantastic Friday morning. The weekend is almost here. A lot of you are going to have a long weekend because you're probably taking some time off for Thanksgiving next week. But what a beatdown last night. Thursday night football, I said there were two questions that I had coming into this game. One, was there actually any depth in the AFC? Because I think everybody out there would acknowledge that the Steelers and the Patriots are good. I don't think there's a lot of question about whether Ben Roethlisberger, with his multiple Super Bowl wins, his two Super Bowls, is ready for the big stage. I don't think there's any question, certainly, about whether Tom Brady, with his five Super Bowls, is ready for the big stage. Kansas City, uh, I feel like Kansas City's going to lose in the divisional round. They're not quite good enough to take the next step. They're not good enough. I know they beat the the, uh, Patriots earlier in the season, but I don't think they can get past the Steelers for whatever reason. That's a bad matchup, just like it was in the playoffs this past year. But I wondered, is there anybody beneath those three teams? And I'm giving, I think I'm being lenient counting Kansas City and the Chiefs as one of those three teams that potentially could contend in the AFC for a Super Bowl run. And in particular, we're focused on the Titans. And I think the answer after last night is the Titans are nowhere near good enough to do anything other than potentially advance to the playoffs. I feel like they're going to make the playoffs. If you look at the rest of the AFC, if you look at their schedule, the next four games they play are against teams with losing records. 
they have a very good chance to go three and one in those. They can get to ten wins. They may or may not win the division. I still think they're likely to win the AFC South uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars because that season ends in Nashville and the head-to-head, the Titans have already beaten the Jags by 21 points. So I think it's still likely that the Titans win the AFC South, but I think the ceiling for the Titans and the Jags and whoever the sixth team is to make the playoffs in the AFC is winning a game in the wild card round and then losing in the divisional round because there was nothing whatsoever that I saw last night that made me think anything other than there is a huge gap between the Steelers and the Patriots and, frankly, everyone else in the AFC. I mean, we're talking about a conference right now where 10 of the 16 teams have losing records, and one of the six teams with a winning record is the Buffalo Bills, who just benched their starting quarterback in favor of a rookie, There's not a lot of optimism in Buffalo either, I think it's fair to say. So, Marcus Mariota had an opportunity to establish that the run that he got on last year when he was the best passer for about seven or eight weeks in the NFL was not a fluke, and he looked awful. And there's no other way to put it. The Titans look like a team that is not very good when they need to step it up against a primetime opponent. We'll see what happens in the uh, weeks and months ahead to uh, the Tennessee Titans season with six games left now, sitting at six and four. But I think it's fair to say that Mariota was not ready for the big stage and that his receivers did not give him a lot of help, particularly Corey Davis, who's a rookie who's only played in three games and had a ball ricochet off his hands for an interception and then didn't come back on a curl route to allow another interception. Mariota was not good. I think the play calling continues to be suspect. The Titans have not been as good at running the football with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry as everybody would have anticipated. And on the other side of the ball, look, I mean, I thought that the secondary for the Pittsburgh Steelers stepped up. Cody Sensenbaugh, who was not expected to play until the Joe Hayden injuries, uh, got in and absolutely dominated. There were uh, relatively few opportunities out there for the Titans on the offensive side of the ball, given the way they didn't really push the ball down the field except for the start of the second half when they made a big play, looked like they were going to make a game of it. Got the drop touchdown pass from Delaney Walker uh, that would have made it 23-21 with about three minutes to go in the uh, in the third quarter, I believe. But the Titans fell apart there in the fourth quarter. So I thought the takeaway to me from last night's first game of Week 11 action in the NFL is that I would be very surprised if Pittsburgh, especially if you look at Pittsburgh's remaining schedule, I'd be very surprised if Pittsburgh is not the one seed in the AFC. And if you're going through Pittsburgh, and look, I know the Steelers lost at home to the Jags when Ben Roethlisberger threw five interceptions. And I know they lost at home to the Bears when they had that weird kind of decision to make about whether or not to come out for the national anthem. And it seemed like they were sleepwalking throughout the rest of that game. But look, here is the remainder of the Steelers' schedule. If you're looking ahead for the final six weeks, the Packers are coming uh, on uh, the next uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So now you get 10 days to get ready. The Packers are not coming into Pittsburgh and winning that game. Steelers go on the road against the Bengals. Uh, I don't have any faith at all in the Bengals. I think the Steelers win that one. Ravens come to Pittsburgh. I think the Steelers get it. Patriots-Steelers on December 17th in in Pittsburgh is probably going to be a preview of your AFC title game and potentially if the Patriots can run the table maybe the Patriots get to 14 and 2 maybe the Steelers uh, can get it as well 
and then we've got the, uh, the obviously the Steelers going to the Texans and then the Browns coming to town to finish the season. I don't see the Steelers doing any worse than 13-3, and three, and I think there's a decent chance they run the table to go 14-2. and two. At this point in time, like I said, I would be pretty stunned if it is not Steelers-Patriots in the AFC title game. And I think if you've been watching the AFC so far this year, if you've been watching the NFL in general, look, the Patriots have a little bit more of a challenging finish to their season than certainly the uh, the Steelers do. And again, I don't think the Patriots are going to be capable of running the table. Maybe they will. Maybe they will, and we'll have two fourteen and or a thirteen and three against a fourteen and two team, other than whoever wins that December seventeenth game. But uh, I, I think that is the massive takeaway. Uh, after the game, we had a couple of reactions. I think Marcus Mariota was asked about his performance, and this is what he said: "If you uh, throw four interceptions, it's tough to win. A lot of credit to Pittsburgh; they uh, made a bunch of plays and you know got the best of us tonight. I mean, those are on me. When it comes down to it, I'm I'm the one that makes the decision to throw it. Just bad decisions." When you play teams that are of this caliber, that are contenders, that win week in and week out, you know, that's that's the blueprint. Uh, we're going to learn from it. We're going to get better from it. And hopefully we'll see them again. And if they do see them again, the Steelers will win. But again, for the Titans now, the schedule is not very difficult for the next four weeks. They could win all four of those and put themselves into a position to still advance the playoffs. I still think they will. I mean, the playoff picture, there's a pretty big gap um, now between the the Titans and, frankly, the rest of the NFL, unless you happen to think that Peterman's going to come in for the Buffalo Bills and be incredible. The Titans are 6-4. and Uh, There are, like I said, 10 teams with losing records right now in the AFC. So I think the Titans as the four or the five is probably likely. And if you win the division, you get to host the game against Jacksonville. If you lose the division, you go on the road against Jacksonville. I'm not sure that's a big deal. Again, the big deal is you're going to have to go on the road against Pittsburgh or New England. And I just don't think anybody in the AFC is going to be capable of taking that next step. All right, we will open up the phone lines, but first uh, I'm going to tell you I've got my guy Peter Schrager from the NFL Network scheduled to join us and break down what he saw last night and also get us ready for the uh, for the upcoming week in the NFL. So let's go ahead and get queued up for that. Peter Schrager, NFL Network, will join us next. If you want to react to what you saw last night, you can certainly give us a call and uh, and hang on, and we'll get to you uh, once we get finished with Peter Schrager. 877-996-6369 is that number. 877-996-6369. Load up the phone lines. You want to react to what you saw last night. Up next, Peter Schrager, NFL Network. will get you ready for NFL Week 11 and also see what he thought of the game last night. Does he agree with my belief that it is the Patriots and the Steelers as the unquestioned two best teams in the AFC, and there might well be a substantial gap after those two teams. We will discuss all of that. Titans not ready for primetime. Your reactions as well on the phone. But in the meantime, you've heard me talk about the amazing shave I get from my Dollar Shave Club razor, especially when I use it with their Dr. Carver Shave Butter. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm never giving up my membership. In fact, I'm adding even more DSC products to my daily routine. Dollar Shave Club makes products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything you need. They have me looking and feeling amazing. And it's all their own original stuff. They only use the finest premium ingredients, and they deliver it to you just like they do their razors. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down aisles, looking at shelf upon shelf of what the hell is that? What do I do with it? 
I use Dollar Shave Club for almost everything, razors, body cleanser, hair gel, and yes, even butt wipes. DSC has you covered head to toe. And now's a great time to give Dollar Shave Club a try. You can get your first month of their best razor, along with travel size versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even butt wipes, just five bucks. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It's the DSC starter set. Get yours for just five bucks exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well, with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, and on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. This is a confident radio show, and what I'm confident in is that Peter Schrager is going to come on and probably agree with me about the status of the AFC. He is going to be on the road with Chicago and the Detroit Lions uh, this weekend, but for now he's in New York where he does an awesome morning show uh, on the NFL Network. Uh, Peter Schrager, what's up, my man? How are you? What is up, Clay? We've got two of the most successful sports shows in the world. Mine on the television (laughs) side, you just killing it on Fox Sports Radio. I'm so happy for you, man. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You guys are doing great work, and I encourage people to check out Good Morning Football on uh, NFL Network. I love what you guys do. I watch it a lot of times, uh, DVR it, check in uh, when this show is over, and obviously I get a little bit of an earlier start than you do. But um, I, I'm, I'm curious here, like now that you're in year two of the show, have you gotten used to the early morning wake-ups yet? Because obviously you and I did not have like the get-up pre-dawn routines down, uh, Pat, before the show started I'm curious, are you now an early morning guy, or does it still seem crazy to you every morning when your alarm goes off? Crazy. Every single morning, it's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and mine comes, I don't know when yours is. I think you have a 30-minute commute. Mine's the same kind of deal. It's 3.45 in the morning, the alarm goes off, and everyone listening to the show right now probably has a similar deal. I will say this. Everyone else is like, yeah, and then I go on the weekends, and I wake up at 4 a.m. I sleep, if I can, if the kids are quiet and I'm on the road or in a hotel or something, I will sleep till 11 a.m. on the weekends. I just get it all back. What I love about, and I haven't traveled as much as I used to, but what I would love about being in a hotel, like, and I think there's a lot of dads and moms out there listening to us early in the morning <laughs> who know exactly what I mean is, if you are in a hotel and you have those blackout curtains and you can yeah. just pull them and you can turn your phone off and you just get into bed, like, I don't know that there's a better feeling than guy or girl who doesn't get sleep and then is in a hotel and doesn't have any reason why you have to get up. There's not going to be any little kids screaming. There's not going to be any obligations and responsibilities. I, Being in a hotel, I, like I, I, I've I, said this before, Pete uh, Schrager, I would travel all the way across. When I was in L.A., the best I would like, I'd fly all the way to L.A. just to have blackout curtains and be in a hotel and not have to get up. I could tell you this. So when we're on, I'm doing the game tonight, I'll be doing Chicago Lions um, on Sunday, but I'm getting into Chicago tonight. And, you know, Chicago's a really cool town. And Erlacher, uh, to name drop, is a friend of mine because we used to work at Fox. And anytime I'm in Chicago, I try to head up. And it's one of those deals where now I've got lots of friends who have lots of, you know, fun things to do in these cities. Clay, I will order room service at 6 p.m. and watch Big Bang Theory for two episodes and be in bed <laughs> by 9 p.m. And I literally feel like it's, um, I'm a kid on a bachelor party. I'm having such a good time. Uh, we're talking to Peter Schrager. Good morning, football. You can follow him on Twitter at P. Schrager. All right, so uh, I am of the belief that there is a big gap. Now, after watching, I, I, my question going into last night's game was, I still think the Titans and the Jags both are probably in decent shape to make the playoffs. Uh, and who knows who the sixth team will be, who emerges, who has a losing record right now to make the playoffs in the AFC. 
But I don't think any of those teams have a real chance to challenge the Steelers and the Patriots. And that's what I wanted to watch last night was, are the Titans ready to take that next step to not only we have a playoff caliber team, and let's see whether or not they're able to even do that, but if they do, can they beat one of these good teams? And I think the answer is no. I think it's going to be Patriots and Steelers in the AFC Championship game. And I think there's a pretty big gap between them and the rest of the AFC. Is that too much of an overreaction, or do you agree with me now that we're moving into NFL Week 11? No, it feels it feels like you've got the the mid uh, power five and mid majors, and those are the two in the power five and the Chiefs too, because the Chiefs can hang up with the, can hang with those guys, though they have struggles with the Steelers. I will say this: last night was one of those games that I always called me a show me game. So prime time television. I couldn't, if Marcus Mariota and 50 other strangers on the street were talking to me, I wouldn't know who Marcus Mariota is because he's never on television. He doesn't talk, and there's nothing really, uh, you know, superstar quality other than his football play. So here it is. Thursday night, what are you going to do? Everyone watching, four interceptions, looked shaky and on the road, didn't really handle the spotlight well. And it's one of those deals where it's like, get back in the shallow end. There's a kid's table at Thanksgiving. It's coming up, right? And there's a kid's table and there's an adult's table and the Titans, they right now are at the kid's table. What do you think in general about the Steelers? Because, look, I mean, they very easily could be undefeated this year, right? I mean, they, they could be a 10-0 and team because they gave up a game against the Bears that I think was related to just not being ready to protest. They don't come out for the national anthem. They sleepwalked through that game. And then they obviously, Ben Roethlisberger Jaguars. comes out and throws five interceptions against the Jags, and I don't think that would happen very often. How good are the Steelers? Great. When they play like they did last night, they can beat the Patriots. That's the thing. They just haven't in years past. They go to these playoff games against the Patriots, and they forget to show up, or they get injured, and something happens. They're not their full strength. But this team, when they're playing at their best, is as good as any team in football, and they have a $92 million offense, which is just insane. Roethlisberger is one of the highest-paid quarterbacks. Brown's one of the highest-paid receivers. Bell's the highest-paid running back. The offensive line is all getting paid a ton. So, when it clicks, it's unbelievable. And he was in the no huddle last night. It went 30 for 45, and it's, this is what we expect. But then there's those some games, those with these Mike Tomlin teams, where there be the Bears where they forget to show up. Or sometimes last year, I believe they had a they had a really bad loss last year, and it was just one of those head scratchers where you're saying, all right, just when we want to buy in and say that this is one of the class teams, you lose when you need them most. So. They'll be in the final four. I believe that. I just don't know if Tomlin's ever going to be Belichick in a big spot. Right now, there are two teams with eight wins in the NFL, both in the state of Pennsylvania. Which one is better? Which one do you have more faith in, the Steelers or the Eagles? Ben Roethlisberger. I love the Eagles, but Ben Roethlisberger's won two titles and has played in a ton of these big games. And if they were both playing in the Super Bowl right now in Minnesota, I feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers, just have the veteran under center. And Carson Wentz, you know, it's funny, Clay, there's only two players in NFL history to win MVP in their second season. And it's Kurt Warner, which is kind of a weird deal, 28 years old at the time. And then Dan Marino, who had that amazing 1984 season. I, though, believe Carson Wentz could be having the best second season of any quarterback at the time. I just don't know if he's got it to finish the job. I mean, it's against a Brady or a Ben Roethlisberger, or even an Alex Smith in a big spot. I'm not sure... Carson Wentz is going to be the guy just because he hasn't had the experience of those big games yet when I look at the NFL right now we just talked about the AFC I think there's a big drop off after the couple of top teams in the NFC it seems wide open to me you just talked about the Eagles the Vikings are they for real New Orleans who I think may be the best team in the NFC right now with seven straight wins the Rams having an incredible year 
Carolina and Cam Newton has not had their bye week yet. They got the seven and three. Uh, obviously, Seattle, we know what Russell Wilson can do. Atlanta's right there on the periphery. You've got Detroit, whether they can make a run and get back in the mix in the NFC. Who do you like in the NFC right now? It's funny. The two teams that I would have said in August are the Cowboys and Packers, and they're both five and four kind of lingering also. So you just did 10 different teams that are above 500 and only six make it. It's kind of cool. But the team that I believe is going to be standing there at the end and I've since the start of the season is the Carolina Panthers. I just think their defense is so nasty. We saw it on Monday night, what they can be. And Cam Newton was not healthy the first six weeks of the season. No one wants to, well, no one wants to acknowledge the fact that he had a serious shoulder surgery and he played the first six weeks as if it was training camp in preseason. The last two weeks are the Cam Newton that I've expected to see this season. And Keekley's back. He's healthy. And all these young players, whether it be McCaffrey on offense or whether it be James Bradbury on defense, the Carolina Panthers have been there two years ago. I know it's not a sexy pick. I know it's not the popular pick. I just feel like the Carolina Panthers are the team because of the defense, the offense, and the head coach. They've got the three facets that I need, and I like those guys. We're talking to Peter Schrager, NFL Network. How big of a story do you think Jerry Jones versus the NFL and Roger Goodell actually is? Is it something that is going to linger for the rest of the season? Is it something these guys are going to get resolved? How massive or how big or is it overrated? Like, What do you see about this conflict? You know, I, I honestly, Clay, I've got to be completely transparent. I am only following what you're following from the New York Times with this stuff. Jerry Jones is not a guy I deal with on a day-to-day basis, and the NFL League office is kind of distant when it comes to owner relations, so a lot of it is unique. I feel like there are some reporters who might have, you know, ties to, to specific owners, but I'm kind of on the sidelines on this you know, as it plays out. The headlines, what they're saying, and then, you know, this is obviously going to be something that plays out over not only – Roger Goodell's contract extension, but I think into the labor piece and the labor deal, which is 2020. I, I mean, this is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Because Jerry Jones, a lot of people say, primarily responsible for getting the Rams to L.A. A lot of people say, primarily responsible for getting the Raiders to Vegas. Like, he has been you – know, the, the draft is in Dallas this year. That's not because of just random luck. There like, is one of the big power brokers of that ownership group, if not the lead power broker. So if there is a conflict with the commissioner – Certainly, certainly it's going to come to a head at some point. All right, you said you like the Panthers, and they're a team that's a little bit under the radar, I feel like. Is there any other team out there right now that you feel like, man, they could get hot, and in the last six weeks of the season, they could make a statement? Hmm. You know what? The Falcons are really interesting to me because they've been there, and they did this last year. If you look at their – if they win this week, they'll be 6-4. Do you know what they were 10 games through the season last year? 6-4. and four. It's possible. Like and We've seen it, and unlike a lot of these other teams where you lose – a lot of key players, or there's injuries. Devontae Freeman's got a concussion. You're hoping he comes back. But for the most part, all the players that were on that team from last year are back. It's just Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, and Lane Kiffin. Uh, not Lane Kiffin, I'm sorry. Kyle Shanahan. I, I'm talking to you. I just think Lane Kiffin all the time. Um, yeah. But and Kyle Shanahan out there in San Francisco. But to me, it's like, you know, you've got the bodies. You've got all the right pieces got to get the spirit and the mind going so I think the Falcons are a team that I would not be shocked if they just started rattling off wins and caught fire last question for you you got to go do your show we're talking to Peter Schrager he's on good morning football where does Sean McVay's turnaround of the LA Rams rank in terms of one to one season to another new head coach moves in your recent like memory because I can't think of a guy who's made a bigger difference for a team than what Sean McVay has done for Jared Goff and for the for the LA Rams McVay's my guy. I've known McVay since he was a Titans coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 10 years ago, and we were drinking in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, <laughs> so you're, 
you're talking about a guy who uh, I'm, I'm in the bag for, and it's unbelievable. And I, I, I think, Clay, if you take a look at their next four games, I think it's like Vikings, Seahawks. Uh, it's a crazy grind. So I don't want to crown them yet, but as of now, through 10 weeks, it's, it's one of the more amazing miracle runs I've seen. I, I would say the last time we've seen something like this was when Dick Vermeil in his second year with the Rams, you know, the greatest show on turf, Kurt Warner, the whole deal. Like, it's just, it's one of those years where it's just out of nowhere, like, what the hell just happened? That doesn't happen often in the NFL. Yeah, your ne- three of their next four are the Vikings, the Saints, then the Eagles. They also toss in the Cardinals on the road there. And then they finish that, by the way, five. the fifth week is on the road against the Seahawks, and the sixth week is on the road against the Titans. So, I mean, they've so got one of those basically... Deals, right? Like, let's check yeah. in. That's what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right, my man, have a good show. Appreciate you waking up early and talking with us here, and uh, good luck this weekend in Chicago with the Lions game. You are the best, quite literally my favorite Twitter follow and one of the best. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Go follow him on Twitter, at P. Schrags. Going to go with the NFL Network there. I'm telling you, if you got kids, you know exactly what we're talking about. Everybody out there who's up with us is up early, and if you know that feeling of getting into a hotel room and just being able to shut those those blackout curtains, it's literally worth the trip to just be able to check in and go to bed. Um, let's go to uh, my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's trending in the world of sports. All right, Clay, let's start with Thursday Night Football, where the Steelers beat the Titans 40-17. to Ben Roethlisberger had four touchdown passes, three to wide receiver Antonio Brown. For the Steelers, for Tennessee quarterback Marcus Mariota threw four interceptions. Pittsburgh's 8-2 with the win, and Tennessee falls to 6-4 with the loss. They're a half game back of Jacksonville for the AFC South lead. In the NBA, the Celtics get their 14th win in a row, beating the Warriors 92-88. Boston's down a league best 14-2 on the season. For Golden State, the defending NBA champs, they drop to 11-4. Rockets over the Suns 142-116. Houston had 90 points in the first half. James Harden led them with 48 points. And now the Rockets are the top team in the Western Conference at 12-4. Baseball, Jose Altuve of the Astros named the American League MVP. Giancarlo Stanton of the Marlins gets the National League MVP award. This report brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, you were talking with Peter Schrager about the NFL, where the league will convene for its December 13th meeting in Irving, Texas, and there will be an owners-only session that will deal with the impending extension for Commissioner Roger Goodell. This comes, of course, in the wake of Cowboys owner Jerry Jones threatening to sue the league and some owners if Goodell gets the extension. Drama never ceases in the NFL. Appreciate it, Eddie. Uh, We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Okay, a sprinting start there for the show. Appreciate Peter Schrager coming on. I'm going to open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. In addition to what happened last night with the Titans and the Steelers, the Steelers may be establishing a level of dominance that the rest of the AFC, other than the Patriots, cannot potentially match with what we saw getting their team to 8-2. and two, Good chance. I think they go 13-3. and three. Um, And I, I think maybe the story that a lot of people will ask is, did this tell us more about the Steelers or more about the Titans? I think that's kind of an intriguing question. Let me bring in my crew. Uh, Jason Martin, more about the Titans or more about the Steelers? Well, before I answer, I feel pretty good about my Super Bowl prediction, at least in the AFC, where I have the Steelers there because they certainly looked apart last night. But I'll I'll answer that question by telling you this. Marcus Mariota hasn't been good this year. He simply hasn't been. In three or four games against quarterbacks you would deem to be good this year, 
He's one and three. He lost to Derek Carr. He lost to Deshaun Watson badly, and he lost to Ben Roethlisberger, ben Roethlisberger badly last night. The only one he's gotten a victory over is Russell Wilson, who played great in that game and nearly won it single-handedly on the road here in Nashville. The other wins this year for the Titans, Jags, which, okay, they're six and three, Colts, Browns, Ravens, Bengals. It's 16 and 30 is the overall record for those five teams. Overall, their opponents 22 and 33 this season. But when you look at Mariota, passer rating is 79.9 for the season. Guys with a higher passer rating: Jay Cutler, Jacoby Brissett, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, who's been benched, Josh McCown, Carson Palmer. Eight touchdowns for Mariota to ten interceptions puts him 28th in touchdowns. He's now tied for third most interceptions in the league this season two off the league leader as a matter of fact and he's 16th in total yards yes he missed a game here and there but he has been really bad quite frankly and that first interception last night's one of the worst throws I've seen him make at any level that I've ever seen him play on it's just been strange because it looked like he was trending in the right direction the injury certainly slowed him down just a little bit hasn't been nearly as much of a threat to run but that caused issues I thought this game could be closer despite all the weapons for the Pittsburgh Steelers But the lights came on last night, and as much as Chris Collinsworth tried to say about the Titans secondary being this and being that and being impressed with Logan Ryan and all these things, they got torched. Whenever Juju Smith-Schuster wanted to get somewhere, he got somewhere. Whenever Jesse James – Jesse James ran some of the easiest routes I've ever seen straight down the seam and caught balls all night long, and Antonio Brown was obviously an absolute monster. They did a decent job on Le'Veon Bell, at least early in the game, and it didn't even matter. It was like they didn't even belong on the same field, but in a league that's dominated by quarterbacks, which is something that you've said I don't know how many times throughout the course of this show since we began at last Labor Day, Marcus Mariota simply has to be better or the Tennessee Titans are not going to be able to do it. And I know the play calling hasn't been great, and I know that the running game hasn't been fantastic, but Mariota's stats are undeniably below average right now for a guy that a lot of people seem to give the benefit of the doubt. Dude's got to play better, quite frankly. I think the fact that they're 6-3 and three with him as a quarterback, I, I think at some point, um, for the Titans. They have an 80-year-old defensive coordinator in Dick LeBeau who has a, a storied history, certainly, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, I mean, he's 80 years old. I mean, and they have Terry Rubisky, who is their offensive coordinator. And I wonder how many NFL teams would take either as coordinators. I'm not even getting to Mike Malarkey, who I think it's fair to say a lot of people would not want their NFL team to have signed. And so I wonder how much of this is schematic. In other words, if you brought in Sean McVay and gave him the talent, the young talent that the Titans have, I would love to see what they were capable of doing with them because I have just seen so many times, uh, and I've watched the Titans play a lot, I've seen so many times them run the ball on first and second down and they put Mariota in third and eight when everybody knows that they're going to be passing. And look, Mariota was not good last night. It's probably the worst game that he has played as a uh, as a pro now partly I think that's on Corey Davis the young first round wide receiver the first uh, pick of at wide receiver overall he was pretty bad and he's only played three games he didn't come back for a pass that led to an interception he got hit in the chest and a ricochet uh, also went for an interception you change those two plays again and even even with all those things happening if Delaney Walker catches a easy probably the easiest touchdown pass he's going to have this year it's 23-21 going into the fourth quarter. 
the the Steelers are still better, but even with Mariota not having played that well, he would have bounced back and thrown two touchdown passes in the third quarter, and it'd be a two-point game going into the fourth quarter. Um, but I don't think there's any doubt, and, and I think that's a, uh, that's a question that's going to have to be asked in this offseason is, first of all, 80 years old. I mean, I don't think that gets enough attention. 80 years old and a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Now, I know Dick LeBeau has incredible genes, and I know he's seen literally everything that can happen on the defensive side of the ball. But how many 80-year-old coordinators have there ever been in the history of the NFL? That's one question. Another question would be, how many people would employ Terry Rubisky to be the offensive coordinator? I know Terry Rubisky has been in the league for a long time, but, I mean, he's got to be approaching, what, 70 years old himself? I'm just saying, like, how many people would have an 80-year-old defensive coordinator and a 70-year-old offensive coordinator and be out there killing it right now on the cutting edge of what's going on in an incredibly competitive league? And, again, that's not even getting to what's going on with Mike Malarkey, who is obviously a guy who has not been very successful in most of his time as a head coach. So, look, the Titans have four straight games against teams with losing records. I think what this demonstrates more than anything else is that there's a pretty substantial gap between the Patriots and the Steelers and everybody else right now in the NFL. Now, the Titans have had a lot of injury at wide receiver. I think that 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 kind of showed up last night in a primetime game. They didn't look very in sorts. They didn't didn't look very well in tune with each other. Uh, It was not a very smooth offensive effort, and I think that reflects a lot on Marcus Mariota. But there's no doubt. He hasn't been very good this season. The the saving grace is that he's 6-3 and as a starter, and he's been good enough in the moments where he needed to drive and get touchdowns to get wins to get them in a position where they should make the playoffs this year. And whether or not they win the division against the Jags, and I think they have a good chance to win that division because they've got the tie break and they finish up the season in Nashville with a game against Jacksonville. I think that probably the Jags or the Titans are going to be your four and your five. So effectively what these guys are playing for is who gets to host a playoff game. Are they playing it in Jacksonville or are they playing it in Nashville? And frankly, I don't really know that it matters that much where that game is being played in terms of the overall outcome. And I don't know that it matters who wins that game much other than you feel like you're taking the next step as a franchise when you get into the playoffs and you're capable of winning a game there and then kind of uh, going up and losing to either the Patriots or the Steelers. And you're like, okay, now we've got a young team. Let's feel like the next season is the one where we can take that step and be challenging. I want to open up the phone lines. Like I said, 877-996-6369, your reactions. You can dive in and tell us what you thought of the first weekend of game, first week, the week 11 first game between the Steelers and the Titans. I think the Steelers have to be a lot of people's picks to advance to the Super Bowl. I would be stunned at this point, assuming both guys stay healthy, if we don't get Tom Brady against Ben Roethlisberger at either Foxborough or there in Pittsburgh for the AFC title game. We'll take your calls, we'll take your reactions, and we will break down what was a pretty intriguing game in terms of establishing the Steelers' dominance last night, Thursday night football. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago, 877-996-6369. Haven't even gone out to L.A. yet. Want to get you guys impressions um, of what you saw last night, beginning of week 11. Titans getting dominated on the road by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are you guys, I'll start with you, Danny G, are you in agreement with me 
that the AFC is going to run through the Steelers against the Patriots. I, I just I see them as head and shoulders above. And they, look, the Chiefs fans out there can say, "Hey, we went on the road and we beat the Patriots," and I'd say yes. That was early in the season. Teams evolve over the course of that season. The defense for the Patriots has gotten much better as the year has gone on. And certainly the Steelers, who lost in overtime on the road against the Bears and then uh, lost a uh, a game, frankly, where Ben Roethlisberger throws five interceptions against the Jags. Otherwise, like this team is not that far from being 10-0. and And I think you look at the rest of their season, it's hard for me to see them doing much worse than 13-3. and and I look at the Patriots and I say, man, the, the the Patriots have a little bit tougher of a schedule, but I don't see them doing anything other than being the two seed. I think it's likely to be number one seed Steelers, number two seed the Patriots. In the three spot, I think we'll probably get the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Titans and the Jags will be four and five. And then there's one more team that'll be able to make a run right now, probably that has a losing record, unless you believe in Nathan Peterman and think the Bills are going to hold on to that spot that would get the sixth spot in the in the playoffs. And so if you're a Titans-Jags fan, it doesn't really matter that much who wins the division because I think there's a good chance that's going to be a rematch, and it would actually be a rematch of the final game of the season. And you're basically just playing to see who's going to have home field in that first-round wildcard game and see who's going to advance and get their ass kicked by either the Patriots or the Steelers in the next round. Yeah, I think you may be underestimating the Kansas City Chiefs just a little yes. bit. Because Clay, it was just a few weeks uh, it was just a few weeks back. Think about the sound, the audio clip that we played of Big Ben talking about how he just maybe he just doesn't have it anymore. Remember how everybody was on the radio and TV talking about how yeah, maybe he, he should even have came five- he threw back, five interceptions yeah. in that game. But, I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs are one in three in their last four games. Right. So they're, but, they've been on but a bye But why, week. though? What's wrong with the Chiefs? They got away from pounding the ball with Kareem Hunt. So I think if the Chiefs can get back on track with their run game, then this could be the year that they could get over their hump, which is the Steelers. You th- I don't feel like they're ever going to beat the Steelers. I think they might. I agree. I agree with Danny. I'm glad somebody else said it. I mean, Alex Smith is number one passer rating in the league, 18 touchdowns to one interception. They've got weapons everywhere. They've got a great defense. They've run into some tough teams as of late. But I absolutely think that those three are head and shoulders above everybody else. I don't think that you can say they're in a second tier beneath the first two. I think that's really underestimating how good Kansas City is. I think Kansas City has no no hope of beating the Patriots or the Steelers. Well, they barely look, lost I mean, to I know Alex Smith. And they beat I know, New England. Like, here's the deal. Ultimately, you have to ask yourself. All that matters when you get to the postseason is how good your quarterback is. Do you believe that Alex Smith is going to beat Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady on the road in the playoffs? The first you few weeks that, of the season, you had him as the early MVP. Yeah, he has yeah, eighteen look, to one. It's an eighteen to one touchdown okay, to interception you, ratio. Asking, ben Roethlisberger's asking, ten all to fourteen. All of those things. All of those things are great. All of those things are fantastic. You can hit me with all the stats you want to. Do you believe that Alex Smith is going to go on the road at Pittsburgh or on the road at uh, at New England and win in January against either the Steelers or the Patriots? Do you think he's going to beat Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger on the road? If if you believe that, I mean, so that's the question. Do you? Go a poll. Jason Martin, yes or no? Do I think he can? No, yes. no, no. Not can. I'm not do, you saying think that. He w- do you think he will? I'm just saying, you're saying they have no chance. Our argument that is that they absolutely have a chance. They I don't can think run they have the a, ball. They do not have a chance. They are not going to go on, on the road. Based on the fact that Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger are not going to lose to Alex Smith at home in January in the playoffs. 
And now, okay. if the Chiefs get if the Chiefs get a home game, I've seen. Look at what's happened when they've played the Steelers the past two years. The Steelers are the Chiefs' daddies. They walk out and they smack them in the face, and the Chiefs don't have any response to it. They out physical. You mean the nineteen them. to thirteen game? They don't. They look at that game. They walked into Kansas City, right? They went on the road again, just like they did in the playoffs. Even with Kansas City having the home field last year in the playoffs, the Steelers went on the road and smacked them in the face. I don't even think Kansas City Chief fans listening to us right now in their hearts believe that they're going to beat the Steelers, even if they get home field. And I don't think if you look at, like the Steelers are going to have home field advantage as long as Ben Roethlisberger is healthy. Because you look at their schedule down the stretch, I think they're going to go 13-3. and three. And I think they will beat the Patriots in Pittsburgh and go ahead and have that head-to-head just like they have the head-to-head over the Chiefs. So the Chiefs are probably, and I don't think the Patriots are going to fall apart. I think the Patriots are going to be the two seed. So the Chiefs uh, will beat whoever the sixth seed is in the wild card because Alex Smith will win the wild card game. And then they'll go on the road and they'll lose the divisional round playoff game either against the Patriots. And you can say, oh, they went on the road and they won. So for week one of the season. All right, so week one of the season, it's not going to be the same as playing in frigid-ass Foxborough where I believe I'm correct that the Patriots have lost like one playoff game in the last ten years. Didn't the, was it the Ravens who went up to went up to uh, the Patriots and beat them on the road? The Patriots don't lose in Foxborough in the playoffs. So I think what we're going to get, I would be stunned if this is not the result. As long as Brady and Roethlisberger are healthy, I think what we're going to get is Brady versus Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh for a trip to Minnesota to play in the Super Bowl. And I would be stunned if we don't get that outcome. Now. You guys, we go to L.A. Do you guys have any faith in Alex Smith winning that game? Yes or no? If you're betting, is there any way you're putting your money on the Chiefs to win against either the Steelers or the Patriots on the road? No. <laughs> that's the perfect sound yeah, reaction. But, 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 I think that's the perfect sound reaction. That's exactly <laughs> that's what, what you Kansas would City Chiefs That's fan. what you ex- that's would what, expect yes. from Cooper. That's what I would expect from Cooper who's having a birthday today. That's the perfect response. That's exactly what Chiefs fans would sound like, too, if you actually gave them truth serum. They, they may talk a big game, but that's the exact way they would sound when they sound no if you actually gave them truth serum. Hour two up next. Continue to react on OutKick, the coverage. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Duralast batteries are designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Uh, 877-996-6369. Thanks for spending your Friday with us as we enter hour two here on uh, what hopefully is going to be a good weekend. First of all, uh, game last night, late night. Many of you may not have stayed up for it. Uh, spoiler alert, Titans got their ass kicked by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Jason Martin is a huge believer in Alex Smith, uh, may actually leave the show today and become his agent, believes that he's going to go on the road and win at either... Uh, You're ridiculous. And win in either uh, Pittsburgh ridiculous. or New England. Uh, I believe that the AFC is a line of demarcation after Ben Roethlisberger's team and after Tom Brady's team, and I would be very surprised, assuming both those guys stay healthy, because I think you have to throw that caveat in, especially this year of all years, where everything has fallen apart at times in the NFL based on injury. But assuming both those guys stay healthy, uh, and look, Roethlisberger's, what, 35 years old, Tom Brady is 40. 
So there's certainly some concerns as it gets colder and all the hits that everybody takes and everything else. But assuming both those guys stay healthy, I would be very surprised if they're not meeting in the AFC title game. The Titans are not ready for prime time. I think that was uh, self-evident for anybody who watched that game. I still think that the Titans are in good shape along with the Jacksonville Jaguars to win uh, enough games to advance to the playoffs because there are only right now six teams with winning records in the entirety of the AFC, and one of those six teams is the Buffalo Bills, who I think it's fair to say there aren't a lot of people who are optimistic that the Bills are going to finish the final seven games of the season with a great record. So I think there is a substantial line of demarcation. However, looking at the Chiefs' schedule, the Chiefs' schedule is also not very top-heavy. There are a lot of losing teams on that schedule. Very good chance the Chiefs, if they get their legs back underneath them, they should beat the Giants this weekend in Kansas City. Very good chance they can go 12-4. and I think that there's a good chance that the Steelers go 13-3 and or better. I think the Titans are probably a 10-6 and team. Um, I think that the Jags are around a 10-6 and team as well. Uh, both the Jags and the Titans do not have that many tough games left. I think it's very easy to see the Titans going 4-2 and to finish. I think it's very easy to see Jacksonville also being 10-6. and and whatever happens in that uh, final game of the season in Nashville between Jacksonville and the Titans deciding the AFC South. But I also think it's very likely that both of those teams are going to be your four and five seed in the AFC, such that winning the division doesn't really matter because you're either going to be playing that game in Nashville or you're going to be playing it in Jacksonville. And is it going to be that substantial of a difference to be playing at home versus playing on the road? Um, It's not like either one of these teams are going to be contending for a potential buy. So that would be my situation if you kind of contextualize where the AFC is right now. I think it's a lot different than the NFC. I think there are a lot of teams in the NFC right now that you can look at. There are 10 with winning records right now in the NFC. I think there are a lot of teams, if you wanted to make an argument, okay, which team is going to make a surprise run in the NFC? In the AFC, I don't even think you can pick one. Like, does anybody believe that Blake Bortles is going to go on the road and win a playoff game? Does anybody believe that Blake Bortles is going to win a playoff game, period? Does anybody believe that Blake Bortles is even going to be good enough down the stretch to avoid his team tanking, even Jacksonville fans? And meanwhile, for the Titans, the way Marcus Mariota has played this year, I don't think there's any confidence at all in him. Now, there's still seven ga- six games left in the season. Could he get hot against a, uh, a schedule that's not very good? Yes, but I think if you're a Titans fan where you have to sit back and say, dude, we got an 80-year-old defensive coordinator. W- when have you even heard of that happening? Like, I, I need my, I my team. I mean, is there even – has there even been like – I mean, is there even any close to an eight, 80 years old? Is it's a, That's a decade older than Donald Trump. I mean, that's crazy to be on the sideline as a defensive coordinator leading an NFL team at 80 years old. And then how old is Terry Rubisky? He's like 70. I mean, he, he was a coach of – he was the head coach of the uh, of the Washington Redskins in like 1998, like 20 years ago. He's 63? Mm-hmm. He looks older than 63. So yeah, I don't have like – he's com- had a tough life. Yeah, I don't have confidence in either one of these guys – as coordinators, and again, that's not even getting to Mike Malarkey. I think you can make an argument that the Titans have the worst coaching staff in the NFL, maybe outside of maybe outside of Cleveland. I mean, you got a bunch of old dudes who've never won anything uh, as head coaches. You got it again, eighty-year-old defensive coordinator. I, I, I just, I mean, 
every time they go up against a good quarterback, the Titans get exposed. I think that's because their team's not that good. But also, I don't think that 80-year-old Dick LeBeau is revolutionizing the world of football anymore. He's had an incredible career. But 80? I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Well, there's one other I found. All right, so most of, most of, there have been some guys in their 70s, but nobody up till 80. But actually, Dick LeBeau's not the oldest current in the NFL right now. That would go to Tom Pratt, who works on the defensive side of the ball for the Arizona Cardinals, and he is 82 years old. Yeah, but he's not the coordinator. No, but I'm just saying on a staff. That's still yeah, pretty right. old but you to could, be doing but anything yeah, but in the league. There are lots of people right now who work in businesses where old dudes come in and continue to work. More power to them, right? They don't want to quit their job. There are lots of people listening to us right now who are going to go into work, and there is an old guy, usually a guy, who has been working there for like 50 years and continues to show up at the business and everything else. That's fine. But most of them aren't in charge of like one side of the ball. They're not in charge of like every decision that's being made. I, there's Rupert Murdoch's like 85, and he's making a lot of decisions for 21st Century Fox. There aren't even that many guys in corporate finance who are 80 years old that are making decisions like this. Wade Maybe Phillips. Maybe at the college football side, you find some older guys. Paterno was in his 80s. I think Bowden was 80 in his last year at, at uh, Florida State. So I think those guys are institutions Bill, Bill that Snyder, just never leave. Bill Snyder Snyder's is an old, old guy, yes. too. I think he's like 77 years old. But just, I mean... I think when you see performances like this, it's fair to say you got an 80-year-old coordinator and you've got an offensive coordinator who nobody else would hire. Like I'm a big I'm a big believer when you want to know how good the talent is that you have on the coaching perspective, you ask yourself this, how many other people would hire these guys? If Mike Malarkey was not right now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, how many NFL teams would make him their head coach? Is there a single other NFL team right now that would hire Mike Malarkey to be a head coach? Is there a single other NFL team right now that would hire Dick LeBeau to be a defensive coordinator? Is there a single other team? I don't know about that. 80-year-old Dick LeBeau, I don't know about that. Is there a single other team that would hire Terry Rubisky to be an offensive coordinator right now? I think, like, the Titans, like, you know, the head of the regime of the Titans features a lot of people who have the highest level job they could possibly have and no one else would give them that job. You know and what I, think I look that's at always you, an th- indictment. Think about it this way. You know when you have your top wide receiver go out and everybody has to move up a position, and then you have a guy that's actually a number two that has to be your number one, or maybe your corner goes out and you have to slide somebody over, and you end up pulling somebody off the bench that wouldn't necessarily be in the starting lineup. It's like a lot of the people on the Titans coaching staff are about a step ahead of where they actually should be in the hierarchy, so they find themselves kind of wading in deep waters a lot of the time because they're not necessarily perfectly equipped for those jobs. They're just a little bit higher. It's almost like the actual head coach got injured and everybody else had to step up a degree. Yeah, look, and I think what typically happens in the NFL is, and that's why I'm I'm not trying to go after Alex Smith. I'm just saying, to me, all that matters in the NFL is your quarterback. I think the quarterback makes the coaching staff, but – I don't think the coaching staff is putting Marcus Mariota in situations where he can excel. And I was talking about this with a buddy who is, uh, who's high up in the NFL the other day, and he was saying, can you imagine what Sean McVay could do with Marcus Mariota's talents? And, and I think that's a very valid question. Like, if you got a young, really exciting offensive mind and you gave him Marcus Mariota and you said, run wild with him, 
I think they would better be able to take advantage of the assets that he has. Because I think Marcus Mariota is incredibly talented. I think anybody who watched him play last year, there was about a seven or eight week stretch last year where he posted the highest passer rating in the NFL. I mean, he was on fire last year carrying this team. And that hasn't translated this year. Now, he's had some injuries, obviously, and uh, and has not played that well. Maybe he can get hot. You know, they've got four straight games against teams with losing records. Maybe he can start to find his mojo. But I think that the way they are trying to feature the running game, let's pound DeMarco Murray, let's pound uh, Derrick Henry, does not square with Marcus Mariota's talents, which are, frankly, just let him go no huddle, let him get in the shotgun, let him kind of call plays and, and take control of the team on the field. And uh, this plotting style that they're using with him, I think doesn't really fit his talents. But to me, that was not the story primarily of last night for uh, the Thursday night football. It was that the Steelers are really good. And but for a loss on the road against the Bears, where, look, I think that had something to do with the craziness of the anthem weekend. The Steelers don't come out. They never seemed like they were fully engaged in that game. And then, obviously, Ben Roethlisberger has one of the worst games of his career and throws five interceptions, which led to him saying, maybe I just don't have it anymore. Um, But for that, this is a team that could very easily be 10-0. I know they've played a lot of times against the level of competition, but I think that's because they almost know that if they need to put their foot on the gas, they have a different level. They're like a guy who's sitting in traffic but knows that if the traffic ever eases up, he can go 100 miles an hour. That, to me, is the Steelers. And I think the Patriots are the same way. I don't have that same belief about the Kansas City Chiefs at all. And so that's what I'm saying. I think there's a pretty substantial gap. We'll see uh, whether I'm wrong. There could be three good teams as opposed to two good teams in the AFC. Whereas you look at the NFC, and I could make you an argument for about 10 different teams getting hot and ending up winning and going to the Super Bowl. If I told you right now, we had Peter Schrager on an hour one, and he pointed out that the Falcons, if they win this weekend, would be 6-4, and four, which is the exact same record they had through 10 games last year. The Detroit Lions, look, you guys know I'm a believer in Matthew Stafford. I think they're going to win this weekend against Chicago, get to 6-4. and four. Green Bay, yes, you can make that argument if Aaron Rodgers is going to come back and Brett Hundley can just kind of hold serve. Dallas, same thing about Ezekiel Elliott. Look, Ezekiel Elliott comes back. The Cowboys find a way to win a couple of games. Can they get in as that wild card? If they get in as a wild card, they're capable of winning a couple of games. The Eagles, we know. They're really good. Minnesota, the Vikings, look. I thought that I was that, 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 that Case Keenum was not the guy, but they continue to win. And, uh, you know, they've got a big game this weekend against the Rams. That'll tell us something between the Minnesota, uh, the Vikings, and the Rams. But one of those teams is going to have eight wins and be eight and two. The Saints, right now I would pick the Saints to be the champ coming out of the NFC. They've won seven straight games. Drew Brees looks like a revelation. Carolina Panthers, you heard Peter Schrager say, look, I think Cam Newton and the Panthers with that defense have the potential to win the Super Bowl. And I think everybody out there listening right now knows that Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks sitting at 6-3 and three, have the ability to turn it on and certainly advance the Super Bowl. I mean, that, that's just teams in the NFC that I've run through. It's totally different in the AFC. I think you got Pittsburgh, you got New England, and if you want to make the argument that the Chiefs are out there with a, a potential run that they can make, maybe. I just don't buy it. I think we're going to see Pittsburgh or New England in, and there's about 10 teams they could play from the NFC. We'll break down this. Uh, also, I want to dive into the college football weekend that's upcoming, tell you about the playoff picture, get you ready for that weekend as well. 
And uh, we'll also touch on what I think is the number one story in college football right now, which is what in the world's going on with all the coaching rumors out there? What's happening with Tennessee? What's happening with Florida? What's happening with Nebraska? What is happening with Arkansas? Uh, Ole Miss, how many of these different jobs potentially are going to open up and who are they going to hire? It's college coaching carousel season. The dominoes are going to start to fall soon. What do we think is happening with John Gruden? What do we think is happening with Gus Malzahn, Brett Bielema? Who's going to get that job? Scott Frost, where is he going to go? We'll dive into that and discuss, give our picks on where we think people are going to go and also talk about the games that matter in college football in terms of the playoff uh, playoff picture. All of that up next. Thanks for spending your Friday with us on OutKick, the coverage. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios, easy to say, 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I got to tell you. We obviously talked a lot already about the Thursday night football game between the Titans and the Steelers, but the game that I woke up with a sick feeling in my stomach about this morning, I had Maction, big money last night for me, uh, on Buffalo against Ball State. There might have been 50 people in the crowd. And I just think that if a coach takes a knee, for those of you who don't know, Buffalo opened 17.5-point favorites. Most Nobody knows. For Nobody out there was paying attention to this game except for gamblers. And Buffalo took a knee at the two to three straight knees. They had a first and goal at the two with two minutes left. And they took three straight knees. Ball State didn't take any timeouts. And they didn't punch in the, 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 the game-winning touchdown there to cover. And by game-winning, I mean the only reason people would be caring. They were up 16. And they had an easy cover there at the two-yard line with two minutes left. First and goal. Ball State doesn't call any of their timeouts, and Buffalo takes three straight knees. I mean, just a brutal, brutal beating. And also, Buffalo managed to miss like a 25-yard field goal and also missed an extra point. So any of that would have also gotten the cover. I'm just still sick to my stomach over that game. So that's a nice pivot to college football. Sport just makes you sick. I mean, I was so, I, I was livid. I was ready to just throw my remote through the Did television watch that live? screen. Oh, yeah. I was flipping so over. what, what happened? Give me your reaction. Like, take me through the machinations of you watching that happen and seeing money drain out of your bank account. Well, first of all, I had both of my kids with me uh, in my bed uh, the, the watching the Titans game, right? It's a late night for them, so they were getting to watch the game with Dad. We actually are flipping around a little bit because the end of the game, I was actually my, one of my, my seven-year-old wanted to watch the end of the Warriors and the uh, – the end of the Warriors game Celtics. against the Celtics, which was actually pretty intriguing close. So I saw some of that, but I'm flipping around with them. And they're like, Dad, why, why are we watching this game? That's the first question that the kids ask. Dad, you know, like, and you can tell because, you know, we flip around the Warriors and the Celtics, like there's this raucous crowd, like you can hear in the background, the energy you can feel from the crowd, right? Sometimes when you know you're watching a big game, you can feel the energy from the crowd. Pittsburgh, crowd's all loud. It's all gung-ho. They got that crazy camera angle. You know, kids can tell the fever pitch of the game well and so we're flipping around and then I go to the Maction game and they're playing at Ball State and I'm not kidding you there might have been a hundred people there in the crowd I mean there are just huge areas where nobody's watching and my kids are like dad why are you why are we watching this game I said dad's got some money on this game I said which side do you have I said I got Buffalo and so Buffalo like is in great shape uh to cover right they're driving 
and they drive for like six minutes. It's like a six-minute damn drive to try to like bleed the clock, and they only are running the ball. They've got this wide receiver that nobody can cover. They've had four. He guy catches seven balls for four touchdowns. This is, by the way, the biggest breakdown that's probably going to happen to the Maxion game anywhere in the country today. You guys are lucky getting to hear this. And so they're driving, but they're only running the ball. So they get a first and goal. They run the ball three straight times. Don't even try to score a touchdown. Kick the field goal. Come back the other way. Buffalo's had a couple of fluke plays where they've gotten the ball. They can't throw the ball at all. So they get it. Buffalo goes for it with like, I mean, sorry, Ball State goes for it with like three minutes left. Uh, on fourth and ten, they get sacked. And so Buffalo with like three and a half minutes left. That's a lot of time. Three and a half minutes left. They take possession at their own 12. Their own, I mean, sorry, the, the Ball State 12-yard line. They just need 12 yards for a touchdown to end this game to cover everything else. Second down, they get a first down at the two. Still like two minutes left. Ball State still has two timeouts left. Guy actually gets injured on that play. And I don't know, but the rules require, the rules require that when you have a player injured inside of two minutes, you make the other team take a timeout, even if they don't want one, right? To avoid guys faking injuries. Somehow the Maction referees don't insist on the timeout being taken. So Ball State, and then and then the Ball State guys don't even use their timeouts. They don't even try and win. And then the from the two-yard line, Ball State takes three straight knees. And I was, I, I mean, I, I literally was close to just throwing my remote through the television screen. I'm probably the only person in America who was watching this game. Tweet so, me if you were also watching this game. But to me, that's criminal misconduct. Like, you should have to go, the Buffalo coach should have to sit down in front of, like, a gambling board and explain himself. This is what coaches should know. Like, if I'm a Buffalo fan, my team is 4-6, and six, now they're 5-6. and six. What I cover about, care about is not them winning. I care about them covering. And they decided, to me, that coach just made the conscious decision, I don't care about covering. Again, it's not like it was 50-3. to three. They were up 16 points. So arguably, why not go ahead and run it in and get outside of two scores and get the touchdown there? So tell me this. There's a lot of embellishment when it comes to attendance. I looked up the game information based on what you were saying. The recorded attendance last night for this game was 5,248. <laughs> well, Do first you think of all, that's what, is that place, what does that place seat? Yeah, it's Schumann Stadium. I'll look it up now. Look I up what I Ball State it, seat. That 5,000 is like, that's a ridiculous number. Like, that is an insanely low. That First of all, okay. that's way higher than it. Well, what is the stadium seat? 22,500. 22,500 22, 22, people could have gone to that game, and 5,000 showed up. I bet, I bet actually in the turnstiles, I bet there was 1,000 people there, if that. <laughs> There might have been a thousand people there. I mean, if you look at some of the screenshots, like I, when I again, my kids were like, "Dad, why are we watching this game?" And then they're like, "Oh, you bet on it, didn't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Dad bet on it." And so I had Buffalo, and I had Buffalo big, and they took a knee at the two yard line, and I'm still not over. It. I mean, and and I watched obviously a lot of games last night, but that was the one. Like I woke up and I still had like a sick feeling in my stomach over the way that game ends. And I like to gamble. I'm going to give you my gambling picks later. But that's the kind of loss that'll stick with me for a couple of days, especially because it was a Thursday night game and I don't have any action on Friday. So I got to wait till Saturday to get the bad taste out of my mouth. But it's one thing when you lose a bet. Like I knew I, I'm a season ticket holder for the Titans. I expected the Titans to lose to the Steelers. Steelers are better. I didn't expect the Titans to play as bad as they did, but I, I would have been shocked if the Titans had gone on the road and won that game. 
but I really was on the right side of this bet against Ball State and the Buffalo coach, whatever his name is, deciding to take a knee at the two, indefensible. I mean, just absolutely indefensible. He's got to care about his his gamblers out there. So tell me, if you're in the press conference, are you asking that question? Well, first of all, if I am covering Ball State Buffalo for a living, yeah, I'm just questioning every decision I've ever made in life. Like, if I am in the press conference of Ball State Buffalo on a Thursday night in, where is it, Muncie, Indiana, and I'm covering this game and I'm writing about it, I'm just saying, like, what career path did I end up on that I have to be at the Buffalo Ball State game asking questions after the game at all. Like, if you're anything other than a student reporter, your life has just gone in bad directions. Is uh, That's the easy answer. Like, if you're covering Buffalo Ball State on a Thursday in Maction with maybe a 1,000 people there. So, no, I, I would if, – if you are in any way, like, I, I, I would not be there. If you showed up and asked questions after that game, you just need to look yourself in the mirror and just ask yourself, what in the world are you doing with your life? If you're so anything other than a student, student journalist. All right, I so do think people should start Muncie. asking. I do think people should start asking. I mean, I think, look, coaches all know what the line is. And so to me, it's like sticking a middle finger up to your fan base when you have an opportunity to cover and you don't decide to do it. Again, if it were 52-3 to three and you decide to take a knee, I totally get it. But if I were on that sideline and I was Buffalo's coach, and I was trying to get to 6-6 six and six to get to bowl eligibility, and I know that the line opened at 17.5 and, and closed at 19, I definitely score a touchdown there to cover. Because I know that the people who were probably betting on this game were not Clay Travis sitting in Nashville watching Maction on whatever CBS Sports Network, which you don't even know where it's... I didn't even know what CBS Sports Network. can't even find it on my phone. I mean, there might have been 50 people watching this game on television too. And every single person watching it on television who was not a parent of one of the players was gambling on it. And to me, you have an obligation to, to score there. Absolute obligation. And you should have to answer questions if you don't. Like, And by the way, how about the Ball State coach not using his timeouts? It's like he's trying to hopefully cover two. It's like he's like, well, we're two and nine, but at least the guys who bet on Ball State are going to be happy. And by the way, did anybody beat on bet on Ball State in the country? How would you have? Oh, anyway, just devastating. But yeah, I think you know I'm going to go up to Washington D.C. on December third or fourth, whatever the Monday is, right after the conference title games. They are having a Supreme Court argument over whether sports gambling should become legal. And uh, New Jersey is challenging the law right now that doesn't allow any state other than New- than Nevada to allow gambling within its borders. And I think it's going to pass. Uh, I think the Supreme Court is going to rule that every individual state, just like with the lottery, and I've been on this for a long time. You can criticize a lot of my opinions, but I think if you pay attention to me over time, what you'll notice that I go after the most is hypocrisy because it really bothers me when people treat similar situations differently. I can't conceptualize how we can allow people to go buy scratch-off lottery tickets in, I believe, it's 44 states in this country, and those same states won't allow you to bet on whether a team is going to win a football game. I just I, the, the hypocrisy there, and in lots of those states, the individual NFL teams will sell their logos to scratch-off lottery tickets. So, for instance, here in Tennessee, where I live, you can buy lottery tickets, 
and the cheapest and dumbest lottery tickets you can buy, like there's no intelligence involved in gambling on lottery tickets at all, are scratch-off lottery tickets. And the Tennessee Titans will sell their logo to scratch-off lottery tickets. So there are people out there who are like, oh, hey, I'm a fan of the NFL. Which scratch-off lottery ticket should I buy? Oh, I'm going to buy the one with the NFL logo on it. So the NFL has no problem making money off of scratch-off lottery tickets, but they won't allow you to legally gamble on which team you think is going to win. Now, the technology is so far ahead now that your average guy out there who's listening to me right now is like, screw it, I'm just going to pull out my phone and I'm going to bet on an offshore account, and I don't care that technically I'm not supposed to be able to do this because I think if you're 40 or under, you just think it's absurd that the government doesn't allow you to legally gamble on sports. And to his credit, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NFL, has talked about sitting at NBA games and looking around and noticing how many young guys are literally gambling on their phones while they're sitting courtside at an NBA game. I mean, this is commonplace. And so to me, I'm a big believer in legalize it and tax it. I would legalize and tax weed everywhere. I would legalize and tax prostitution everywhere. I would legalize and tax gambling everywhere. I just think it's crazy that we use our tax dollars to try to capture people who are just making decisions to gamble on sports or who are making decisions to smoke weed. You know, that's my personal belief. Some of you out there can have a different opinion. You can be wrong. Like I said, you don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong. But anyway, Maxion screwed me last night, and screwed me is not the word that I want to use. Uh, let's bring in Eddie Garcia. Eddie, were you watching last night? I noticed that your update on the big sporting events of the night did not include Buffalo at Ball State. Probably need to get on that game because Maxion was rolling last night. Yeah, let me uh, let me update that. Update yes, the I'm roster. Update my update here. In just your a update can just yeah. be a Clay Travis got effed. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the the coach decided to take a knee at the two even though he could have very easily scored a touchdown and there was two minutes left when he started taking his knee and Ball State decided not to take timeouts because they are Pussy Willow program. I, I understand. I understand. Also last night, in addition to Ball State, uh, we had the Steelers taking on the Titans. Kind of a big game. Night. You think Football? more people were watching that one? Maybe a few more, yeah. Uh, the Steelers get the 40-17 to victory behind four touchdown passes from Ben Roethlisberger. Three of them went to Antonio Brown. Pittsburgh's 8-2. and two. The first team in the AFC to hit the eight-win mark of this year. Meanwhile, Tennessee drops to 6-4 and four with a loss. Their quarterback, Marcus Mariota, had a tough day with four interceptions. And the Titans right now are a half game back of the Jaguars for the AFC South lead. In the NBA, we had two games. The Celtics won their 14th in a row, beating the Warriors 92-81. Boston's a league-best 14-2 on the season, while Golden State, the defending NBA champs, dropped to 11-4. Rockets scored 90 points in the first half and route to a 142-116 win over the Suns. James Harden had 48 points, and Houston now has the top record in the Western Conference after that Golden State loss. The Rockets are 12-4. In baseball, Jose Altuve of the Astros is your American League Most Valuable Player. Giancarlo Stanton of the Marlins wins the NL MVP award. And Clay, with momentum gathering to reshape the one-and-done draft entry rule, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and Players Association Executive Director Michelle Roberts met with the new Commission on College Basketball in Washington on Thursday. The commission was formed in the wake of the FBI investigation into college basketball and is chaired by your girl, Condoleezza Rice. There you go. Should be the commissioner of the NFL. By the way, Anybody out there pay attention to whether I did the ads or not coming in this segment? I got so rattled by everything surrounding this Buffalo game. And by the way, I got to give you guys credit. 
Why do I love the people who listen to OutKick? There are so many people pouring into my mentions right now who are also watching that Buffalo Ball State game and just an abject terror over the decision of the coach not to go in and score from the two-yard line with two minutes left. Uh, one of the guys says at Ball State last night during the pregame show, uh, so we've got uh, – oh, this is actually great. One of the guys who is the, uh, the Ball State uh, radio network texted me, 22,000 capacity at Ball State last night doing the pregame show. I counted less than 100 people in the stands. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding about this. Like, literally, like, there were more people I, – I could have gotten more people to come to a sports bar last night and just watch this game with me than were actually at the game itself. I mean, I know it's cold outside. I don't blame them. But uh, but that makes it even more indefensible. But the number of people who are reacting to this game, I, I'm telling you, the only people watching were gamblers. And so the decision at the end was just inexplicable. All right, guys, did I do the ads? Where am I on the ad situation? This this Buffalo thing got me so sick to my stomach that I have no idea what's happened to the show in the last 20 minutes. Did I do the ads coming into the last segment? Yeah, I think you're good right now. Okay. So I got to tell you, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15 I got to do this now because I have no money left because the, the Buffalo coach killed me last night, where it's easy to save 15% or more. i got to do these ads to make sure that we can make money. More on car insurance with Geico, so I can gamble more this weekend. Go to geico.com or call 800 and lose that too. Or, go to, uh, or call 800-947-AUTO, the only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As well, get in your zone with great value offers and free services that help your vehicle deliver its best performance. AutoZone has everything to get you what you need. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Uh, when, they, when they're like, there are people out there now like looking at the rating segment. They're going to be like, how in the world is this show up 50% over last year? And it's going to be like, well, if you heard the way Clay Travis can break down big games like Ball State at Buff- or Buffalo at Ball State, you would understand. You go after big audiences. Cowherd's out there right now just waking up on the West Coast. He's like, I'm going to talk about New York and L.A. today. I'm going to talk about all the biggest cities, all the biggest teams. What did Clay Travis talk about on his show? Oh, he did 20 minutes on the, the Ball State-Buffalo game. Well-deserved, too. I guy should have to suffer for uh, – you should have to call a coach in in front of a gambling panel, and he should just get ridiculed by anybody out there so the coaches start to understand the importance of covering. Um, all right, I'm going to dive back into this college football universe outside of action, outside of me getting screwed last night on that bet, and many of you getting screwed as well. And we're going to talk about what are the significant games going on in college football – also, what's, what's happening in the coaching searches? What's going on with Tennessee? What's going on with Nebraska? What's going on with Florida? Uh, what's going on with Arkansas? What's the latest I've heard? What's the craziest I've heard? It's the insane season. Coaching rumor carousel is off and running. Let's find out what the latest is. I'll tell you next on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back in. Friday edition. I'll kick the coverage. Uh, we've got a play of the day. I don't know exactly what it is. Let me scroll up here and see. Um... What do we got, Jason Martin? What's going on here? So last night, the Steelers obviously dominated the Titans. We saw that. Pittsburgh looks really good. Best performance of the season. But the radio team for the Pittsburgh Steelers, not on the ball as they had this issue in the second half. May we apologize profusely for missing the touchdown pass from Ben Roethlisberger to Jesse James on a third and goal inside the one. And guess what? capping that 75-yard drive, James puts the Steelers in that 30-point category. Ah, it's look at that. 30-17. to 17. So how did they miss it? 
I don't know. Like we were asking that actually during the break, Danny. We we don't really yeah. know, right? We're like we don't know if they were in commercial break or if somebody had a sandwich and couldn't talk <laughs> or what exactly was going on. But there was just no uh, call at all on this let's, touchdown. Let's just say there's an uh, unemployed engineer from Pittsburgh today. Ah, oh, rough day for the Pittsburgh Steeler uh, radio network. There, that's our Geico play of the day. Uh, you know, why would you not go to Geico and get hooked up now? 15%, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. All right, we've been, we're going to get to the rumors, and I was listening to the latest rumors and reading the latest rumors and texting about the latest rumors during that break. I almost missed our return because I'm so obsessed with the college uh, coaching rumor carousel here. But first, we got Jim in Muncie, Indiana, who was evidently at the Ball State and Buffalo game. Jim, what's up? How are you? Hey, how's it going, Clay? Uh, Jim, how many people were actually in the stadium? Well, the uh, attendance said like 5,000, but I think that the clicker was like doubling it for every one person. I think they doubled it, so times 100. So it wasn't even that many people there. No, maybe, like you said, maybe like 200 people probably by the time they the game. By, by the end of the day, game. All right, yeah. so did you gamble on the yeah. game? Yes, I did. I'm, I'm, so, a, I'm an avid gambler. So you're an avid gambler. <laughs> you were at which side of the equation were you on? I was on the I was on the bad side. <laughs> so you were rooting. So is there I, I, any way? Like, what? How sick did you feel watching that in person? The coach taking the knee at the two with two minutes. I mean, it's a lot of time. It's not like there was five seconds left. And, and Ball State right. not taking their timeouts at all either. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was literally going to get sick. I was throwing my hands up in the air. I was screaming down on the field. I'm pretty sure the coaches on both sides probably heard me yelling at them. Don't you think a coach should have an obligation to cover there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Lane Kiffin can't, why can't they? Oh, that just ought to get me started. Thanks for the call, Jim. Jim was there, and he was on the wrong side. I can't imagine that. It's like four degrees. There's a part, an Arctic chill that swept across the country. It was unbelievable. All right, so where are we? Where are we here in what I think is the most interesting story going right now? Um, we have coaching rumors. And I don't know if there's anybody in the media who loves coaching rumors more than me, but I know there's tons of guys in the media who love coaching rumors a lot like me. And so I'm just texting like crazy uh, with everybody out there trying to figure out what's going on, what's the latest, what do you believe, what's right, what's wrong, who's a reliable source, who's not a reliable source. Here's what I believe right now in terms of who all these places are going to hire. Florida, I believe, is going to hire Chip Kelly. I think that's going to be an incredible hire. The Gators are going to find a guy who fits in the scheme of Steve Spurrier, who fits in the scheme of Urban Meyer. The culture of Florida is one where they would rather win nine games scoring 45 points a game than they would win 10 games scoring 17 points a game. That was one of the big problems with Will Muschamp. He never fit the culture of the Gators. I think Chip Kelly is an absolute home run hire for the Florida Gators. I believe that as a result, Nebraska is likely to hire Scott Frost. The prodigal son is going to leave Central Florida, go back to the Cornhuskers, and try to return Nebraska to past program glory. I believe that Tennessee believes that they have a very, very good chance to get John Gruden and that the groomers are going to continue. I was just listening to the latest, which is 
I mean, again, this story is just flat-out incredible about Tennessee's pursuit of John Gruden. I think if Tennessee does not get John Gruden, and one of the, one of the things that's great about covering coaching searches is, and also challenging about it, ultimately it's one guy's decision. And that's also what's so hard about covering recruiting stories is think about how often when you have a big decision to make in your life, you have vacillated and gone from, yes, I'm going to do it, to no, I'm not going to do it. I used as an example, we've been doing this show almost two years now, um, and uh, or a year and a half, whatever the math is, and I used as an example this for me. There are ample numbers of time where I said on the radio, I will never get up early in the morning and do a morning radio show. I'd done middays, I'd done afternoons. I was like, there's, there's no way that I would ever get up and do a morning radio show. And then I ended up do, getting up and doing a morning radio show. Well, when I was making the decision about whether or not to take this job, if you had talked to me five different days, I might have had a different answer on all five of those days. And that's how coaches are with their decisions. I guarantee you there's a lot of you listening out there, life decisions that you have made, where if the media was covering you on a day-to-day basis, on Wednesday your answer might have been yes, on Thursday your answer might have been no, on Friday you might have been back to yes, Saturday back to no, Sunday back to yes. That's a lot of times how these coaching searches work because a guy's got to sit down, he's got to talk to his wife, he's got to talk to his family, and he's got to basically make a smart decision. And if you're a reasonable person, you probably have a good job already if you're being tried to pursue to get a new job, and you got to decide whether or not you want to make that decision. And so I think that's where John Gruden is right now. I think that he is vacillating. I think that the ball is in his court. If he does not take the Tennessee job, if he ultimately decides not to take it, then I think Tennessee's going to hire Dan Mullen from Mississippi State. The other two rumors that are out there that are crazy, and we had a poll question up about these, Jimbo Fisher is rumored to be in play to go to Texas A&M. The Aggies play at Ole Miss this weekend, and then they finish on the road against LSU. Kevin Sumlin needs to win both of those games to keep his job. Toss-up game this weekend against Ole Miss. The Aggies will probably be 7, 8, 9, 10-point underdog sorry, on the road against LSU. So we'll see what transpires there. But Jimbo Fisher is connected, reportedly, to the Texas A&M job and could be the guy to replace Kevin Sumlin. Now, what I think is the craziest rumor out there right now is Gus Malzahn to Arkansas. Gus Malzahn right now is rumored to go to Arkansas. Gus Malzahn from Springdale, Arkansas. He right now, obviously, is the coach of Auburn. If Auburn loses to Alabama or loses to Georgia in the SEC title game after beating Alabama, there are a lot of people out there that believe Arkansas is going to throw a substantial sum of money at Gus Malzahn and try to get him to return to the state of Arkansas. Why would Malzahn do that? Because Auburn hasn't exactly been behind him 100% for the past couple of years, and he may want to get that guarantee and also go back home and maybe have lower expectations of what success maintains and consists of in Arkansas as opposed to going head-to-head with Nick Saban in the state of Alabama. Those are the wildest rumors. That's the latest update. What about the college football and the NFL landscape in general? We'll hit both of them next on OutKick, the coverage. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. 
They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Pittsburgh Steelers were in the zone last night. Marcus Mariota, not so much. The Steelers kicked the Titans' ass. Demonstrated, I think, that there's a huge gap between the Steelers and the Patriots and everybody else. Now, you Alex Smith fanboys out there like Jason Martin can make the argument that Kansas City has a chance to actually compete in the AFC. I think it's going to be the Steelers and the Patriots in the AFC title game. And frankly, I don't think there's going to be that much drama leading up to it. Now, I do think the Titans and the Jags are both going to advance to the playoffs because right now there are only six teams with winning records in the AFC. And one of those six teams is the Buffalo Bills, who I think even Bills fans listening right now would say, eh, we're starting Nathan Peterman. We're basically saying the season is not going to go very well. I don't think there's a lot to believe uh, that there are going to be that many teams that are making a run. There are 10 teams with uh, losing records. I think if you can get to 10-6, and six, you're 100% in the playoffs. And I think the Titans are going to get to 10-6. and six. I think the Jags have a good chance to get to 10-6 and six as well. Who ends up hosting the playoff game? I don't even know that it matters that much. I think your four and your five seed will be Jacksonville and Tennessee. And the game will be either played in Jacksonville or Tennessee. But I don't think it matters because I think that the Steelers and the Patriots are head and shoulders above everybody else in the AFC. I think the Steelers over the final six weeks of this season are really going to put the pedal to metal proverbially. proverbially. And I think that there's a good chance the Steelers finish 13-3 and or 14-2 and and finish with the overall number one seed in the AFC. I think the Patriots have a good shot to finish as the number two seed. And I think, look, the, the Chiefs will probably be the three, but I don't think they have a very good chance of actually advancing beyond the divisional round of the playoffs. And certainly I don't think the Chiefs are a Super Bowl team. I would put a lot of money right now on it being a Steelers and Patriots final in the AFC title game so long as both of those quarterbacks who are 35 and 40 respectively, Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady remain healthy. I thought this was an opportunity for the Titans to demonstrate, you know what, we're a pretty good team. We have an ability to play at a high echelon, and Marcus Mariota played one of his worst games that he's played in three years. I thought Corey Davis, the first-round wide receiver, was atrocious and almost individually responsible for two different of those interceptions himself. And I think if you're watching the Titans, it's time to ask the question, does an 80-year-old defensive coordinator and a offensive coordinator in Terry Urbisky, who nobody else would hire, combined with Mike Malarkey, a head coach that nobody else would hire, really give you the best opportunity to get the most out of your quarterback? Because I think it's fair to say, based on the d- data so far, even though he's 6-3 and three as the starting quarterback, Marcus Mariota has not been as good this year as he was last year. And I think you have to put that to a certain extent on Mariota, also on the coaching. As we pivot, we're going to talk to Barrett Salee from CBS Sports in the next segment. But I also think there is time to talk about the college football playoff because we're coming in on Saturday tomorrow. There are a lot of games going on. And frankly, the only team that I think is in the mix to make the playoff that could lose tomorrow, Alabama plays Mercer, uh, Auburn plays Louisiana Monroe, um, Miami plays UVA, and UVA has just fallen apart lately. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Georgia plays Kentucky, and Oklahoma plays Kansas, and Ohio State plays Illinois. All of those teams are 21 or more point favorites in their games. Therefore, I don't think any of those seven teams that are in the playoff running are even really going to be challenged. I think they're going to win with ease, but... I do think there's the possibility that Michigan could go on the road and give Wisconsin a little bit of a game 
that line is around seven and a half, and the over-under is under 40, which suggests that points are going to be at a premium in a big way and that not a lot of points are going to be scored. So if you are sitting around at home right now and you are getting ready for the weekend in the NFL and in college football, to me, the focus in college football should be on, one, the coaching search, which I think is more entertaining than anything that's going to happen on the field this weekend. But two, on the field, there are eight teams that still have a chance to advance to the college football playoff. I'm going to tell you who those eight teams are right now. There are three in the SEC, Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia. All three of those teams should win this weekend, which means that we'll advance to the final weekend of the season with Georgia going on the road against Georgia Tech and Alabama and Auburn playing on the plains down in Auburn. That game's going to be a toss-up. If I were an Alabama fan, I would be very nervous. Auburn right now, as well as anyone in the country, that Gus Malzahn offense coming into its own, Jared Stidham rounding into shape, as a great quarterback. I do feel, however, that Alabama will still find a way to win, and I think your SEC title game is going to end up 12-0 Alabama against 11-1 Georgia. But right now, there are three SEC teams that are still alive to make the playoff. There are two Big Ten teams. There is Wisconsin, who plays against Michigan this weekend, the only real challenging game for the top eight teams that I believe are still in the running for the playoff. And Ohio State is the biggest favorite, according to my guys at Odd Shark, in their recorded database in a Big Ten game. They are nearly a 42-point favorite over Illinois. Those two teams are still alive. You might say, Ohio State, they just lost by 31 two weeks ago. How in the world are they still in the running to make the playoff? Well, if Ohio State got everything perfectly to fall in their direction, if Alabama wins out, if Miami wins out, and if Oklahoma wins out, then in theory, Ohio State could be the best of the two lost champs out there who are available for the college football playoffs. So the Big Ten still has two alive. Wisconsin, who's in decent shape, and Ohio State, who is hanging on by its bare fingertips to be eligible for the playoff. All right, In the Big 12, Oklahoma is it. They're the only one-loss team remaining. They play against Kansas this weekend. They're 37-point favorites. Pray for Kansas. That's going to be a beatdown of epic magnitudes. Uh, but Oklahoma is in an interesting position because they still have to play in the Big 12 title game. A Big 12 title game that if Oklahoma beats Kansas, which they will, and then beats West Virginia, which they should, Oklahoma would be 11-1, 8-1 the Big 12, the unquestioned champion of the conference and they would still have to play a conference title game, even though there's no need for it at all. Probably, if I were projecting right now, likely to be a conference title game against TCU, which would be a rematch of last week's game, and which would be a game that Oklahoma only has something to lose. They only could lose the Big 12 title, and they could only lose their ability to advance to the playoff. Finally, the ACC, two teams alive. Miami going up against Virginia this weekend. They should win and Clemson going up against somebody bad. I don't even know who Clemson's playing. If those two teams advance, Clemson has to finish the season at South Carolina, and Miami finishes at Pittsburgh. Assuming that both teams can get the wins, you'd have 11-0 and Miami, because remember they had a game canceled against Arkansas State earlier in the season, playing 11-1 and Clemson, and that would effectively be a default playoff game. Clemson right now around a touchdown favorite in that game. Possibility that if Miami loses to Clemson in a close game, Miami could also be in the running 
for a spot in the college football playoff as well as a second team from the ACC. That is the eight teams that are still alive. Now, some of you out there may be thinking to yourself, well, what about, uh, what about the Pac-12? What about Washington? What about USC? USC? I just don't see it happening. I think USC, good shot to win the Pac-12, finish 11-2. I think they're going to beat UCLA this weekend pretty soundly. And then they've got a week off in advance of the Big 12 title game. Uh, sorry, the Pac-12 title game. I think there's a good chance that USC would win that game against whoever they're playing. But I don't think the Pac-12 has much of a shot to make the playoff. Let me bring in my crew, Jason Martin, Danny G, and Justin. Anything that jumps out to you about what I just discussed, the NFL game last night or the college football playoff in general, or if you just missed it, the craziness of the rumors that we discussed that are surrounding the college football coaching search, which we'll dive back into next with our guest, Barrett Salee from CBS Sports. Yeah, it's not a banner weekend for college football coming off a great weekend, even though a lot of the bigger games were lopsided last week. I do think I'm at least somewhat intrigued to see how Kentucky looks against Georgia early. If that game was at home for Kentucky, I would be much more intrigued by it. Georgia losing the way they lost, they should show up and beat Kentucky. But Kentucky is not terrible. So at least there's a little bit of intrigue. Navy's a team that's given Notre Dame a lot of trouble in years past. Notre Dame coming off another beatdown. Is there a hangover or do they get back on track? That's the number eight team in the country. That could be a little bit interesting as well. In terms of the rumors, you listed five. I think two will happen. I think three will Which not. Which two do you but think I will happen? admit that I've evolved. I've admit I will I've evolved on some of this. I think Chip Kelly is definitely gonna happen in Florida now. Earlier this week I said that it at the time, I just didn't feel like he was going to leave the West Coast. I believe I'm wrong in that, and I believe he will go to Florida. It makes total sense. I think Frost to Nebraska absolutely happens. I think Malzahn to Arkansas is just nuts, so I don't <laughs> see that happening. And I'm trying I to figure out. I would love to even, see that happen. Oh, it would be insane. I mean, it would be absolutely insane. Jimbo Fisher, I just can't get wrap my brain around why he would leave Florida State for A&M, even if he wants to get out of Florida State. I don't know that that is necessarily the home for him. And then there's the big one. And that's John Gruden to Tennessee. I will admit that I have come much further to believing it could happen so than initially, I was a week ago. When I was saying this, you thought that I was in. You think some? You think that a decent amount of my opinions are crazy. You think this is one of the top crazy opinions I had had that John Gruden was in play to go to Tennessee. That would have been the opinion that you would have had, let's say Friday, you know, or certainly Monday. And now you have come around, and you're at least of the opinion that it's not totally insane. Yeah, well, I didn't think that I, – I said from the start I thought he would consider it, and I knew that they were going to pitch him, that they were going to offer him. But some of the things – you know, look, I have eyes, and I can read, and I'm willing to admit that it's definitely closer than I thought it would be. I think ultimately it's definitely in his court right now. So he's trying to weigh the options and decide what he wants to do. I think ultimately he's going to decide it's not the right move, so I'm still going to say it does not happen. But in terms of it being insane at this point – I mean, I would have to be just insanely biased and not paying attention to what's actually out there in the news to say anything other. He's had, what, two or three chances this week in interviews to close the door on this, and he's left it open. So it's clear that he wants his name out there. He, he has a huge ego. We know this. But he is definitely weighing this, and there's, there's no question about that. I don't think it will happen, but no, it's definitely not an insane point to have at this point. Yesterday, John Gruden went on a Seattle radio station and unbidden at all 
he decided to talk about how much he liked Knoxville and how much he loved Rocky Top, the song. I mean, at a minimum, John Gruden is just taunting Tennessee fans. He's trolling. The likes of which, yes, we have not seen in a coaching search in a long time because he knows how big of a story this is. And so if you go on, do we have that audio? Can you guys, one of you guys pull up, I I tweeted it out um, yesterday. You can scroll down. I mean, John Gruden just, like, on a Seattle interview, randomly decides to talk about how much he likes Knoxville and how much he loves Rocky Top, the song. Like, in the middle of this coaching search insanity, um, you know, it's like it's clearly an intentional play by him. And frankly, seems like kind of a jerk move if he's not going to go to Tennessee. Like, why would you do that? His son is enrolled at Tennessee. His wife went to the University of Tennessee. She was a cheerleader. It's where he met her there. His wife's family are all Tennessee fans. Like, if you're not going to take the job, isn't that kind of a douche move to go on in Seattle and be like, oh, hey, I love Knoxville and I love Rocky Top. Like, everybody's going to pay attention to every word you're saying right now, and then you just decide at the end, but, you know, I'm not going to be the head coach. Like, that seems kind of like a a douche move to me, like kind of a, a, a jerk move. Okay, Clay, I have the perfect solution. John yes. Gruden loves Marcus Mariota. Yeah, I'd like to see him coach the Titans, too. Yeah. yeah. Get rid of Rubisky, get rid of LeBeau, get rid of Malarkey, and have Gruden coach the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, I think there's no doubt that the Titans are in need of a brand-new coach. So, it, it's as a not a bad secondary alternative, I would take anybody, basically, to replace Mike Malarkey, Dick LeBeau, and uh, – and our guy, uh, Rubisky, who is the offensive coordinator. There's no doubt. But I, he really needs to go to Knoxville. What about you? Uh, does, well, let me ask you a question real quickly because you're so tied into what's happening in Knoxville and have been for such a long period of time. At this stage of the game, these groomers, as they've been called since the very beginning, how much hope that a lot of these fans have gotten in this thing potentially happening? If it doesn't happen, how let down – is the Tennessee fan base going to be, even if they end up with a Dan Mullen or even a David Cutcliffe or somebody like that, that I think well, that both would be very good? I think it depends on who the, the, the secondary option is. I think they would get Dan Mullen then, and I think people would be like, okay, Dan Mullen has been the most successful coach in the history of Mississippi State. He's not going to come to Tennessee and fall on his face. I think if they ended up having to hire somebody like Mike effing Bobo, as I call him, <laughs> or uh, Mike, Mike Norvell, F- your Mike boy. effing Norvell, as I call him too. People just don't want an unproven mid-tier coach to be the next guy. And it's not a, a strike against those guys. They could end up being very successful coaches. But in the wake of Lane Kiffin leaving after a year, in the wake of Derek Dooley getting fired after three years, in the wake of all the crap from Butch Jones, I just think that your average person out there wants a sure thing now there has been a decade of Tennessee football obsolescence you're talking about the eighth winningest program of all time the second winningest program behind Alabama in the history of the SEC Uh, you know you don't build a hundred thousand seat stadium by accident there have been people showing up and going to Tennessee for 110 years or 120 years or whatever the math is of football and so I think much like Nebraska frankly and Michigan, frankly, before they hired Jim Harbaugh. These are programs that are storied, top all-time winning programs that are not used to being boring and obsolescent. So I think there is the belief that 
this hire will put Tennessee back on the trajectory to matter again, just like Nebraska believes that Scott Frost can do that for them, just like even though he hasn't won at a high level yet, Jim Harbaugh made Michigan relevant, just like Urban Meyer did, and frankly, Saban. And for people out there, and there's a lot of them, they're lazy. They say, oh, so-and-so job is never going to be good again. Like, there's a reason why they can't be good. Coach matters. Alabama, if we had been doing this show in 2006, and we were talking about Nick Saban, I could have very easily come on this show and said, why in the world would Nick Saban leave the NFL? He's making a ton of money to work in Miami. Why would he leave Miami to go to Tuscaloosa? Why would Nick Saban want to take on the responsibilities and the legacy of Bear Bryant? Alabama football is dead. They're never going to be as good as they were under Bear Bryant. It's a toxic environment. It's a toxic atmosphere. Everybody gets fired. Look at Mike Price. Look at uh, look at uh, the, the the guys who have left there. Look at what happened with Mike Shula. They bring in this young guy who's supposed to be an offensive uh, juggernaut, going to be the next uh, guru. Look at what happened with Dennis Francione just walking out on Alabama. They've lost six straight to Tommy Tuberville and Auburn. Are you really telling me they're going to find a coach? Rich Rod just decided not to take that job. It's a toxic place. They're overrated. That job isn't what it used to be. And then what happened? They hired Nick Saban, and everything changed. Everything changed overnight for Alabama. They've been number one in the country in 2008, in 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and now 17. And you could have made all the same arguments about Alabama that people want to make about Tennessee right now. And what it proves is that what matters more than anything else is the coach. And so that's why I think the college coaching carousel arguments are so fascinating and why all these rumors are so intriguing because every decent program, every decent program is one hire away from being dominant again. And I think that's what Tennessee believes John Gruden would do for them. All right, what about the college football playoff picture? What about these coaching rumors? What does Barrett Salib believe? What does he not believe? He works at CBS Sports. We will talk to him next. Plus, later in the show, I'm going to give you all my gambling picks. I'm going to go 10-0 this weekend. I'm telling you. I've also got the first ever take your money out of your kid's college fund and put it on this game, guarantee. That's how confident I am. Coming up soon on OutKick, the coverage. So we're going to be joined by Barrett Salee here momentarily. Big news coming out, early morning story from the uh, ESPN.com writers, Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta. Quote from Jerry Jones about his dispute with Roger Goodell, and this is probably going to turn into the number one story of the day. This is what they quote him saying in the article. This is Jerry Jones. If you think Bob Kraft came after you hard, Bob Kraft is a pussy willow compared to what I'm going to do, and the word willow was not included there. Jerry Jones going at Roger Goodell. Um, We have... uh, I believe we have that audio of John Gruden as the groomers continue to grow going on a Seattle radio station yesterday um, and uh, and talking about Knoxville and Rocky Top out of nowhere craziness. Listen to this. We appreciate it. Thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, when do you get to Seattle? Hey, I get in Saturday, and I can't wait to get out there. Hope to see you guys. I hear viewers heading out to Knoxville, and uh, just be singing that song, man. That's a great song, Rocky Top. 
Yeah, do you ever get juiced up in the booth, by the way? Like, when I get down to LSU and they say Colin Baton Rouge and Garth comes on, you know, thankfully we're not on camera. And I- Out of nowhere. Like, what basis at all did he have to mention that? It made no sense. He knows that he's in the middle of a crazy, crazy story that is massive in terms of the amount of attention that it's receiving. And he goes on this random station in Seattle and just decides to drop that story. It makes no sense. Barrett Salee, I'm betting that you have heard that audio. Can you believe that that would be done? Like, he's clearly just tantalizing Tennessee fans, right? There's nobody in the planet that loves to hear more about groomers than John Gruden. Like, he <laughs> he, he loves it more than – like, like, you're in Tennessee, right? And I'm in Atlanta, and, like, we're both in the middle of all of this just nonsense all the time. But he's the one who perpetrates like, – perpetuates it. He's the one who, like – can easily say on any radio station, on ESPN, wherever he is, hey, I'm not interested in, in Tennessee or, or I'm not interested in college or I want to be an NFL or, or whatever. And then yet he does something like that when he talks about how he loves Rocky Top and loves Knoxville and it's a great place out of literally nowhere. Like it had nothing to do with the conversation that they were having. So um, yeah, no one loves Gruden more than Gruden. There's no doubt about that. All right, so I'm going to run through the coaching search season rumors, and I want okay. you to tell me what you think is is truthful. Do you believe that Chip Kelly will be the next coach of the Florida Gators? No, I don't. I do believe that there's a lot going on in that department right now, but I think a lot of it uh, stems from the fact that He's one of their top candidates, right? Like, so you can sit there and say, okay, Scott Frost, Dan Mullen, Chip Kelly, Willie Taggart. Let's just assume that those are the four frontrunners because they probably are. Who of that group can you actually talk to if you're Florida right now? Like, legitimately talk to. There's only one guy. It's Chip Kelly. So I think that's all that, that, that's going on right now. He may end up there, Coach. I don't necessarily think it's likely, but I do think that he's one of – a small group that they are focusing in on and are definitely interested in. And he, he just so happens to be the only one that they can legitimately court like through proper channels right now. So who do you think will be the next Florida coach, if not Chip Kelly, if you were betting right now? Uh, if I was betting right now, I'd say Scott Frost. I, because I, the problem is they need to make a decision quickly, and he's going to probably play for a conference championship um, in conference or, or in, uh, in the American. So, um, you know, so I, that's another week that you're not going to have him if you're Florida. But I think it's going to be Scott Frost. I think Scott Frost is going to have the decision, go home to Nebraska or go coach Florida. And the way Scott Frost has approached his entire career has been very pragmatic. He's had opportunities to leave Oregon before. He waited until UCF because he knew it was a, a, a springboard to something big, and it doesn't get much bigger than Florida. So, I, so on top of that, then, you just went right to the next question, which is, who in the world will Nebraska hire then? They think they're going to get Scott Frost, and I don't know if there's a plan B right now. Yeah, right? Um, I mean, like, so problem. where would they go? Because Mike Riley can't be back, right? It's fair to say that he's done, and they're going to have an ugly finish to the season, probably finish 4-8, and eight, I think, if you look at the last couple of games they've got. So who in the world do they hire if Scott Frost goes to Florida or says no to them? Okay, if you're Nebraska, let's, let's think about what you need. You need to recruit Texas. You need to – um, be different than everybody else in the Big Ten, and who does that? Chad Morris at SMU. He does all. He does that. Like he is the perfect fit. Now 
the question I would have if I was Chad Morris is, is Nebraska where I want to be? Because Chad Morris is a guy who obviously had success at Clemson as the offensive coordinator, has done, I think, a, a really good job at SMU, uh, and could be next in line at Texas A&M or somewhere even bigger than Nebraska. With that said, you have a lot of resources at Nebraska. You've got a pretty easy division, and you've got the ability to basically own the state of Texas as a Big Ten school if you're Chad Morris at Nebraska. So I think that's where they would turn. They may go with Mike Norvell uh, at Memphis. Again, um, Mike Norvell's a guy, a lot of southeastern ties, Arkansas ties. He went to central Arkansas. He's, he's sort of in that same mold. So I think those two would be the guys they look to after Scott Frost says no. What does Tennessee do? Do you buy the rumors? Uh, they, well, here's the thing. I've always said they're definitely going to ask John Gruden, and John Gruden's definitely going to listen because why wouldn't John Gruden want to hear how great John Gruden is for you know a, for five hours in a meeting? Of course he wants to hear that, and of course he wants to hear about all the money that they're going to throw at him, uh, and then probably try to use that against NFL jobs or TV work, whether that be with ESPN or another network, because even if ESPN loses Monday Night Football, it's not like Monday Night Football is going away. You know, it's going to be somewhere, and he's going to have the ability to have that job somewhere. So um, I don't think they get Gruden. Uh, Gruden. I think they certainly are, are courting him. After that, I do think, and there was a report from 24-7, I do think they've got Dan Mullen in their back pocket. I, I think that they understand, hey, look, we're going to throw a ton of money at John Gruden. If he says no, we're going to have a deadline in place where we can't be strung along by Gruden and, and wait all the way to January until NFL jobs open. Uh, and, and they feel like they can have Dan Mullen because Tennessee's a better job, an easier division, they've got more resources, and Dan Mullen checks every box in terms of what he can do, evaluate talent, build a great offense, uh, win at a high level, all of that stuff. Uh, I think they do have him in their, in their back pocket. So if I had to guess right now, I would, I would uh, you know, the bet online's got all those odds. I would bet on Dan Mullen to be Tennessee's head coach. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's Gruden or Mullen, so I, we agree there. All right, let's go to the other crazy rumors that are currently existing in the SEC. I'm going to start with this one because I know you've spent a lot of time around Auburn. Do you buy into the idea that Arkansas is going to try to make a play for Gus Malzahn to hire him away from Auburn? Without a doubt. They absolutely are. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people uh, in that northwest Arkansas area that know him, know that family, are friends with him. Uh, you know, he has obviously obvious ties to, to Arkansas in that, in that area. Uh, they, there are a lot, and I, I know this for a fact, uh, you know, Bruce Feldman reported it, but I've also confirmed it, that there's a lot of, of, of important people within the, the Arkansas sort of brain trust that are pushing for Gus Malzahn. Um, now, you know, that's like saying, I want a gold pony, or I want to win the lottery, of course. You know, that, that, at this point, why wouldn't they turn their attention to Gus Malzahn? He's in the college football playoff race. He's playing in a de facto SEC West title game next week. Um, if he wins that, you know, he can leverage all this together and, and get a pretty big contract wherever he wants to go. So, yeah, they're definitely going to push for him. I, I, and, I, and I know that there's a lot of ties to that region in that family. I also think if, if, they're, are, if they're successful against Alabama, incidentally, I do think they're going to win that game. I just I, – I don't, I don't understand how, how they're going to make a pitch that, that's worth – listening to in terms of, of realistically going there. Uh, so I would imagine he stays at Auburn. Especially because Jarrett Siddham's going to come back, right? I mean, if they're competitive can, against Alabama. He can be there for two more years. He's a redshirt yeah. sophomore, you know? Yeah, so I mean, I think that Auburn is not in awful shape. It'll be intriguing to see that. What do you think about Jimbo Fisher, head coach at Florida State, and the talk that Texas A&M may be trying to hire him away? 
Well, Jimbo Fisher is a diet version of John Gruden. Nobody loves to hear about Jimbo Fisher more than Jimbo Fisher, right? Like, he's Tommy Tuberville, always floating his name out in this time of year. Uh, Houston Nutt was the same way. Uh, that's what Jimbo Fisher is, and I think Jimbo Fisher is in an interesting spot. Texas A&M may want to go after him, and that's fine. Um, but I think Jimbo's in a, in a different spot because he, obviously the season's gone, not gone his way, right? He is basically in the Brian Kelly mode of last year where Brian Kelly basically had to fire his entire staff, look in the mirror, change how he operates, and he did a pretty good job of that. Notre Dame's a pretty competitive football team here. They're not national championship worthy, but, but he did a good job turning them around, right? So I think that's what's going to have to happen. Um, and I think he's frustrated because he doesn't want to do that. Him and, and Rick Trickett, their offensive line coach, are good friends. Their offensive, me and you could play better on their offensive line than, than what they've produced <laughs> the last few years. And that's been consistent. They've got good players, too, which is mind-boggling. Uh, their defense and Charles Kelly, their coordinator, that coordinator has not done a good job. So, you know, I think he definitely wants to hear his options. You know, in some years it's Jimbo wanting to get a raise. I think this year it's Jimbo – maybe wanting to get away from force moves that he's going to have to make if he sticks around. Ultimately, I do think he sticks around uh, because, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons and a lot of ties to that, to that area. But, um, but Texas A&M, I do believe they're going to go after him. So this weekend, I think the only team that's potentially in danger that's contending for a playoff spot is Wisconsin in their game against mm-hmm. Michigan. Do you believe that Wisconsin-Michigan will be a close game, or do you think somebody else should be on – massive upset alert because everybody else is like a three-touchdown favorite. Uh, no, I don't believe Wisconsin is in any danger. Michigan's the most overrated team coached by the most overrated coach in college football. I, they're not a threat. They don't have any offensive identity. I think their defense is overrated. And when they get a heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor in that running game, uh, they are not going to be able to, to slow down Wisconsin. Wisconsin's actually a very effective offense. They're ugly. They don't do it in a way that, uh, that, that really – appeal to the masses now in, in this day and age of college football, but uh, they're really good at what they do. So I don't think it's going to be a close game. And no, I don't think there are really any other upsets out there. I mean, you know, the only one that you could say maybe if, if, if things break the right way and Sam Darnold turns into a pick machine for USC, maybe UCLA, but I just, they don't play a lick of defense. So I just can't imagine how UCLA is going to force Sam Darnold back into his old ways and, and force a bunch of turnovers. So I don't really see a bunch of upsets this weekend. Outstanding stuff as always, Barrett. Go follow Barrett Salee on Twitter. We'll probably talk to you in the next couple of weeks ahead as the playoff picture fills itself out, and so does the college football coaching search. Thanks, man. All right, thanks, bud. Uh, let's bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. All right, Clay, Thursday Night Football saw the Steelers top the Titans 40-17. to Ben Roethlisberger, four touchdown passes. Three of them went to wide receiver Antonio Brown as Pittsburgh improves to 8-2. and two. Marcus Mariota tossed uh, four interceptions for Tennessee. They dropped to 6-4. and four. Right now they're a half game back at Jacksonville for the AFC South. Lead Pittsburgh well on top in the AFC North. In the NBA, it was the Celtics winning their 14th game in a row, beating the Warriors 92-88. Boston's a league-best 14-2 on the year. For Golden State, the defending NBA champs, they are 11-4. Rockets beat the Suns 142-116. Houston had 90 points in the first half. James Harden finished with 48 points as the Rockets are the top team in the West right now at 12-4. This report's brought to you by TrueCar. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, finally, in baseball, Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros was named the American League Most Valuable Player, while Marlins outfielder Giancarlo Stanton wins it in the National League. 
Good stuff. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Final segment of the week up next. Ten gambling winners. Garen Dam Teed, including the first ever bet your kids college tuition guarantee. That's how high level it is. Who's it going to be making you rich? I'll tell you next on OutKick, the coverage. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago and encourage you guys to go download the podcast. Great guests, lots of talk about Titan Steelers, the status of the AFC and NFC playoff races, the coaching rumor search, what's going on with John Gruden, what's shaking with Gus Malzahn, who is Florida Gators going to who are the Florida Gators going to hire, what about Nebraska? Lots of drama right now in the world of college football. We bring in our girl, Hannah Yates. She's been on the road with OutKick all fall. Final week of the season on the tailgate tour, and she is coming to Vanderbilt to watch Missouri try to win its sixth straight or fifth straight game, but to get to six and five. Uh, Hannah, what's up? How's life? Life's good. Excited to head down today for this game this weekend. I'm ready to watch Mizzou get a win. What did you think of the Grove? You were at Ole Miss last weekend. Yeah, last weekend was fantastic. Honestly, I never felt so welcomed by people before. They were just so friendly, and it was a Veterans Day game, so there was a lot of veterans walking around that they were honoring on the field, and all of the fans were welcoming all of the veterans into their tailgate, and it was just it was a fantastic thing to see. I had a lot of fun. We are going to have, starting on Monday, you guys have been hanging out with fans from every SEC school, all 14 of them, and we're going to have a contest to determine who the best tailgate is. It's going to go up on OutKick on Monday, and wherever the best tailgate winner is, we're going to go to that college town, and we're going to throw an OutKick party and open up a bar tab and have a good time. Uh, Where have you had your best time so far? Gosh, I keep I keep talking about the Mississippi State LSU game. I just I love that. But last weekend was a blast. But I think my favorite thing was at each school I would kind of make it a priority by the end because it was it ended up being easy to find. But there was always that one fan at every school that hadn't missed a game in at least forty years, both home and away. And we were able to capture that. That was just my favorite thing. I think it kind of defines the SEC culture and separates it from other conferences. Yeah, there's no doubt at all about that. So uh, Mizzou has turned it on. They've won four in a row. They're trying to get to the 6-5 and five to get bowl eligible against Vanderbilt. How incredible has their run been? It's been great. Obviously, I was a little skeptical after that 1-5 record, but Drew Locke is playing his you know, best career football right now, and I don't see that slowing down in this game. And, you know, Vandy's obviously not on as hot of a streak right now. So, I mean, I see Mizzou winning by at least 21 with that. Uh, There you go, and that leads into my gambling picks perfectly, and you and I have the same opinion there, which is going to make me a little bit scared. But, Hannah, have a good time. I'll see you in Nashville, and you can look for Hannah if you're going to happen to be at the Vanderbilt-Missouri game uh, this weekend in Nashville. She'll be going around with the OutKick uh, camera crew. Good stuff. Yep, sounds good. See you later, Clay. That is Hannah Yates. You can follow her on Twitter at Hannah Ray Yates. And we're going to have a really cool contest, like I said, on Monday, where the best SEC tailgate, then we're going to throw a big OutKick party. But – Her segue there on the Missouri pick is a perfect segue to me making you guys a lot of money. Santa Clay's coming to town in advance of Thanksgiving, and what's he got? A big bag full of college football joy. Let's hit the music, boys. 
Guess who's back? It's time. AKA Mr. Make It Rain on him. For Clay Travis to make us rich. I'm rich! Including the legendary, famous, well-known talk of the town, most celebrated. I'd buy that for a dollar. Blood Bank Guaranteed. All right, these picks are up on OutKick.com. Immediately after I give them out, a bunch of you are going to come on Twitter and say, hey, can you tweet these picks out? They're on OutKick.com. They are up there. Go to OutKick.com and you can find them if you don't get your pen. Oklahoma, they're going to blow out Kansas. It's going to be a bloodbath. Mississippi State, they're going to blow out Arkansas. Another bloodbath. UAB, I wouldn't favor Florida by double digits over air right now. I wouldn't be surprised if UAB goes on the road at Gainesville and beats the Gators. FIU at FAU. This is a confusing initial game. I'm on FAU. That's the team that Lane Kiffin, a.k.a. Joey Saltwater, is coaching. They are on a roll, and they are going to win big here. Now, a couple of other games. Kentucky at Georgia. I love the over here. I think Georgia is going to score 45 or more on Kentucky. I think Kentucky will score 14. The over-under on this game, surprisingly, only 50 and a half. How about LSU at Tennessee? No one at Tennessee can stop this LSU run game. They're going to score a lot of points, LSU is. Tennessee scores a little. I like the over in this one. Syracuse at Louisville. It's an over kind of weekend. Have you seen what the Syracuse defense has been doing? They gave up over 60 to Wake Forest last weekend. Lamar Jackson's going to run wild on the Cuse, but the Cuse are also going to put up 28. I'm telling you the over of 73 is going to make the play there. Memphis going up against Chad Morris. It's Mike Norvell against Chad Morris, two guys who may have new jobs next year. Memphis is going to cover this game, going to win by two touchdowns or more. And here is my first ever legendary, unbelievable, bet the kids college fund game, Mizzou is going to blow out Vanderbilt and the over is going to hit. Mizzou is going to hang 50 on Vandy. Vandy has given up 34 or more in every SEC game. Drew Locke is on fire. Mizzou by 20-plus. The line right now, 7.5 or 8. And the over, 66 or 67. Get rich kids. That's 10 winners that will help make up for the Buffalo coach turning into a pussy willow and deciding not to score at the end of that game. Also want to say on the way out, our ratings are dominant. We have been killing it. There are two shows that are on in the morning against us. Mike and Mike is ending forever. If you have friends who've been listening to Mike and Mike, you need to tell them to get with the future and join OutKick. Their ratings have been plummeting. Ours are up 40%. The reason? Because we're the future and they're the past. I congratulate them on their run but they ain't got nothing compared to what we're going to have in the years ahead. Tell your friends now they should be listening to OutKick, Mike and Mike, ending today. And I want to thank you guys because you've been the Army. You're the reason we're growing because you're saying you got to listen to it. Nearly 300 affiliate stations now, AM, FM across the country, Sirius 218, XM 202. Thank you for all of the work that you guys do spreading the news about OutKick, the coverage. Santa Clay is giving you a gift. That's 10 wins this weekend to thank all of you across the nation for being with us so far as we are embarking on what has become a dominant run in mornings across this country. 
Get rich, kids. Thanks for hanging with us. We will be back on Monday breaking down the NFL and college football action. John Gruden to the Vols. Make it happen over the weekend. This is Outkick the Coverage. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare